Welcome to another episode of the Double Dupe Sports Podcast, episode 12 of season 5, recording here on what is technically now a Friday morning, since we just, the, cl- the clock just ticked to midnight, so we're recording really late on a Thursday night, so to speak, and uh, and uh, it's great to be here in the College Station, Texas, as always. I'm your host, Tyler Dubnik, pleased to be joined, uh, as always, by my co-host and twin brother, Austin Dubnik. Austin, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Tyler. I'm happy to be here with you once again on another episode of the Double Dupe Sports Podcast. Like you said, we're recording really late tonight, uh, but that's just the way things kind of worked out. And at the end of the day, that's the beauty of this podcast. We can do it whenever we want to. And so we have an opportunity here to, to take care of it and get it out to uh, the, the audience here tomorrow, which would be Friday, just like we always do at, at the at the latest. And so it's still great to be here. I'm happy to, to be here with you and excited for all the content that we have on this episode. And how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. I'm kind of used to being up this late, so we should have a pretty good episode with some good energy. And uh, it kind of just worked out this way for us to record on a, on a Thursday this week with kind of the schedule and everything. And it's also nice we're recording this late because uh, we're going to do an MLB standings update and all the games have been played today. So that's good. So we'll have as up to date as it can get heading into Friday. So before we get into all that content, though, thanks for listening. As always, you can subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you guys listen to our podcast. We'd appreciate it if you would do that if you haven't already. And you can follow us on social media if you don't already you can find me as always on instagram and twitter at tdupe25 yeah and as always you can follow me on twitter at doopy underscore austin and on instagram at au underscore tp10 so once again if you guys uh, do not follow us on those handles uh, please do because that's where we always post uh, when the podcast is ready to be listened to when it's out there for you guys and of course that's where we'll always post any podcast related content if we have anything to share with you guys i know we have not done promotions in a very long time but uh, we used to do them on there and certainly like i said anything that is uh, has to do with the podcast is going to be on those platforms so if you guys don't follow us there at those handles please do yeah, I thought for a moment we might have to use those handles, you know, because I didn't know if we were going to record that or not because the schedule today was a little bit busy and kind of unorganized, but uh, we still, we're still here and that's good. So we'll go ahead and start with the NBA. Uh, obviously, we're in the NBA Finals right now. We got to preview that last week and felt good about kind of how we looked into it. And uh, and so far, we've had three games uh, played. Uh, so we'll recap what we've done so far in the NBA Finals once you get started with uh, Game 1 that happened uh, last Thursday. Yeah, I'll start us off here with game one of the NBA Finals. It took place on Thursday, June 2nd, so just uh, just last week, like you just mentioned. Uh, this one was uh, t- taking place in San Francisco at the Chase Center. Golden State was you know, has home foot advantage, or rather home court advantage in this uh, NBA Finals because they had the better uh, regular season record when compared to the Celtics, and so uh, that's good for them. But it wasn't good for them here in game one because they didn't defend home court right here at the beginning as the Celtics were able to go in the Chase Center and get an upset win in Game 1 of the NBA Finals, defeating Golden State by a final score of 120 to 108. This was a very competitive game all the way throughout, or at least in the first half, it was really you know tight. Uh, the Celtics led by two points at halftime, and it was a very competitive game throughout the course of the first half. Uh, but in the second half, it was really the tale of two quarters. The uh, Warriors outscored the Celtics by 14 points in the third quarter to take a 12-point lead into the final quarter. And then we saw the Celtics just have an unbelievable frame there in the final quarter. They were phenomenal. They were terrific. They outscored the Warriors by 24 points in the final quarter, outscoring them 40 to 16 and, you know, winning this game by 12 points in the end, which was really shocking to the home court fan, to the home fans there in San Francisco, who, you know, going into the fourth quarter felt good about the Warriors' chances to get a game one win. But the Celtics really found a way to make it happen. You have to give them so much credit. That was an amazing performance in the fourth quarter. 
order. Uh, as far as the uh, main contributors in this game for the Celtics, uh, we actually saw Jason Tatum, who has been their best player throughout the course of the postseason, who is their best player along with Jalen Brown. Uh, but Jason Tatum really struggled in this game. He did not have a good game, which is uh, surprising because the Celtics ended up winning despite him really you know, struggling throughout the course of the night. He was 3 for 17 from the field, only had 12 points, but did have 13 assists. So he was a good contributor in this game in terms of or a good distributor in this game for Boston. Uh, the, the leading scorer was Al Horford at 26 points in this game. Uh, like I talked about last week, finally in the finals for Al Horford, he was nine for 12 from the field with, and he also was six for eight from behind the arc. So just a huge performance from Al Horford in this one for the Celtics. Uh, Jalen Brown had 24 points in this game to go along with seven rebounds and five assists. Derek White had 21 points, so he helped out big time offensively. And Marcus Smart also had 18 points. So those are the big time scores for the Celtics as they were able to go out there and be terrific. Um, as far as the Warriors, uh, Draymond Green really struggled in this game offensively, only having four points. He was two for 12 from the field in this game. Uh, Andrew Wiggins had 20 points for the Warriors. Stephen Curry showed up big, had 34 points, had a phenomenal first quarter, which Tyler will touch on in a moment because we're both going to talk about all three of the games that have played so far. Not a lot. He's not going to talk about as much as I am, but he's going to he's got a few stats he wanted to jump in here and discuss briefly. Uh, so I'll let him touch on that in a moment. Klay Thompson had 15 points, didn't play great in this game necessarily. You know, but again, I mean, it's not like the Warriors played poorly in this game. You know, they were winning by 12 by 12 points going into the fourth quarter and just collapsed down the stretch. And the Celtics just had a, an unbelievable quarter, and you have to give them credit for that. Celtics defense really showed up big in that final quarter, and their offense was terrific. And so that kind of gives you a general idea about what happened in this game. Uh, like I said, the Celtics winning by 12 points, and Tyra has a few more stats he's going to talk about briefly before he goes to game two. Yeah, not much more. I mean, just a really remarkable comeback. Really spectacular fourth quarter by the Celtics. I mean, just imagine being in that building and having a 12-point league going in the fourth quarter and feeling like, you know, the Warriors right where they wanted to be and then losing by a dozen. Uh, pretty remarkable. The, the momentum shift in the building there late, the Chase Center in game one. And look at they were in position to go up 1-0 and they go down 0-1. And, uh, but Steph Curry, you mentioned, had 34 points. He actually had 21 points on six threes in the first quarter. I think it was the most uh, threes in a quarter to open the finals or, or in a, maybe the first quarter of an NBA finals game or maybe just in general. Um, but but obviously a terrific first quarter for Steph Curry who came out on fire and the 21 points was the most in a first quarter. Maybe again, just, I can't exactly remember the stack because it was like last week, right? But either a quarter or the first quarter of NBA finals game since Michael Jordan. So, I mean, Steph Curry's been on this stage a lot and even still, despite the fact he's played so many NBA finals games in his career, uh, still doing something he's never done before in that opening frame. But, you know, only 13 points for the last three quarters. Celtics made it tough on him and a great comeback win for those guys. And the Celtics, you know, go back to that fourth quarter real quick. Is I'm pretty sure they had nine threes in the fourth quarter, which was an NBA Finals record, I think, for a single quarter or a final quarter. Again, not exactly sure these quarter stats, but again, the point remains the same, that um, ridiculous nine threes, and they just outscored by 24 and blitz them and come back and win by double digits. Just uh, really remarkable stuff there from the Celtics, just stealing game one on the road. Uh, they were unable to steal game two, though, on the road as they lost to game two. The Warriors got the win 107-88 to to even the series at a game apiece, and uh, this game was, you know, really all about the Warriors. Warriors defense. I mean, what they did shutting down the Celtics offense. I mean, they Jason Tatum got his buckets in this game better than he was in game one for sure. He was six for nine from three point line, had 28 points. Um, and Jalen Brown with the double figures, two is 17, but it was the other guys in that starting line that just didn't do a whole lot. Al Horford only had two points. You know, he was great in that fourth quarter in game one. He only had two points in this game. Uh, Marcus Smart was limited to just two points on one of six from the field, so he struggled as well. 
And then you look at the Warriors. I mean, uh, for the most part, they did what they wanted to. Steph Curry put up a lot of shots, had 29 points uh, in this game. They had four starters in double figures. Andrew Wiggins had 11. Kevon Looney was actually a perfect 6-for-6 six six from the field, uh, 12 points. And then Klay Thompson, despite a really poor shooting night, he was 4-for-19 from the field, but he did have 11 points. And uh, and then Jordan Poole off the bench. I think he's sh- kind of struggling this series so far. I don't think he had much to say in game one. Uh, he was 6-for-14, though, off the bench. 5-for-9 from behind the arc. He had 17 points. That was important for them to get him going a little bit in game two and again the defensive performance was great uh, really all about that third quarter in game two they outscored the Celtics 35 to 14 in the third quarter we know how good the Warriors are coming out in the second half to triple them up there or not two and a half you know they outscored them by two and a half you know their points right and so they outscored them by 21 points in the third quarter it's just a ridiculous number um Almost as crazy, you know. You know, I don't know if you mentioned with the Celtics, you know, they went on a 17 0 run in that fourth quarter in game one, which is crazy. And just any 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 game in the NBA, but uh, especially game one of the NBA finals, and the, the Warriors go on a similar type run that third quarter, outscoring them by 21, just you know, completely putting their foot down. And at that point, you know, they had a very comfortable lead going into the fourth quarter and able to steal it and win by 19. They shot it well in that game, so a good win for the Warriors to get the series and a game of peace. And I can let you t- touch on game two a little bit. Yeah, I don't think I have too much to talk about because I was kind of looking at Game 3. You know, since I'm going to be kind of uh, doing more of the heavy lifting on Game 3, so I'm talking about it first. And so I don't really have too much more to add on to what you were talking about. But like you said, the Warriors just came out with like a, a different mindset, understanding that there was no way they need, there was no way they could lose this game. You know, they certainly, after losing Game 1, you know, certainly fell a little bit, you know, down after, you know, blowing that fourth quarter lead. And they certainly came into this game with good motivation and good energy, knowing they needed to win this game because going down 0-2 and having to go on the road for games three and four would be really you know tragic for them they would really put them in a difficult position obviously put them in a position where they would have to win at least one of those games to stay alive in this series so they came out here with a different energy and played well defensively throughout the entire game as you mentioned especially in that third quarter you know outscoring uh, Boston by 21 points in that third quarter is really huge because the game was very close you know and going once again it was a two-point game going into halftime the Warriors only leading by two points but then in the third quarter they came out there and obviously they made some terrific adjustments at halftime and Steve, you have to give credit to Steve Kerr and those guys making the proper adjustments and going out there in the third quarter and outscoring the Celtics by 21 points and then virtually putting the game out of reach going into that fourth quarter. They certainly, you know, it's almost like they were losing by, they were winning by 12 points going into the fourth quarter of game one. And then they, you know, that was obviously not a big enough lead. So they doubled that in this time, leading by 24 points going in, or yeah, leading by 23 points going into that final quarter. And then certainly that this time, that lead was certainly big enough to, to hold for the Warriors. So as we go to game three now, which took place last night, it was on Wednesday, June 8th. Uh, we saw the Celtics uh, host their first NBA Finals game since 2010, and they came away victorious as they're able to defeat the Warriors 116-100. to This was a terrific game for Boston. They came out playing really well right from the start, outscoring the Warriors by 11 points in the first quarter. They led by 12 points at halftime. Uh, once again, we saw the Warriors, you know, outscore the Celtics in the third quarter, which, you know, they've outscored the Celtics in the third quarter in each game of this series. So they're obviously making, you know, more uh, effective halftime adjustments. They outscored them by, but they only outscored them by eight points this time. So the Celtics still led by four points going into the final frame. And then they were able to have an amazing fourth quarter again, not a huge, you know, comeback fourth quarter, but they held the Warriors to just 11 points in the fourth quarter, an amazing defensive performance for the Celtics down the stretch, outscoring the Warriors 23 to 11 in the final quarter to win the game by 16 points in the end. 
for the Celtics, it was their big three that really came through for them in this game and played so well. Jason Tatum had 26 points, nine assists, and six rebounds. Uh, he was f- phenomenal for the Celtics in this game. Jalen Brown had 27 points, nine rebounds, and five assists. And then Marcus Smart had 24 points, seven rebounds, and five assists. And they became the first trio of teammates to have 20 points, you know, to have 20 plus points, five plus rebounds, and five plus assists all in the same NBA Finals game since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, and Michael Cooper, I believe, was the last one for the Lakers back in 1984. So an amazing performance from those three guys collectively, you know, really, you know, being the key contributors here for the Celtics and winning this game and going back ahead two to one in this series. Uh, we also saw, you know, a really great balanced uh, performance from Al Horford did a little bit of everything in this game with 11 points, eight rebounds and six assists. So that was a good performance for Al. And then, you know, other than that, not a lot of big time performers to talk about. Robert Williams had you know, eight points and 10 rebounds. So, you know, close to a double double. Uh, but yeah, not really much more I can touch on other than that. As far as the Warriors are concerned, you know, obviously they played well in this game for the most part, you know, it was close going into the fourth quarter, but then, you know, down the stretch, they just couldn't do enough offensively. And so they came up short, but Stephen Curry had 31 points in this game. Clay Thompson had 25 points. So they obviously pulled their weight. But I think a big uh, problem for the Warriors in this game was the ineffectiveness of Draymond Green, who had just two points, four rebounds and three assists and fouled out of this game late. Uh, you know, he didn't play very well at all. And he owned up to that in the post game press conference, uh, you know, saying he didn't play very well. And, you know, he used an expletive that I can't say right now, but certainly understood that his performance in this game last night was not good enough at all and he certainly put his team in a difficult position and with his ineffectiveness you know hurt their chances to ultimately win this game uh, Andrew Wiggins played well with 18 points and seven rebounds uh, Jordan Poole you know once again was not super impactful for the Warriors he hasn't been great so far in this NBA finals he had just 10 points for them off the bench uh, but ultimately I you know I can't say the Warriors played terrible you know I think you know especially because like I said it was a close game going into the fourth quarter but again down the stretch they didn't play well enough offensively they were shut down in that final quarter and the Celtics got the win and now lead the series two to one yeah the other way to say it's not how you start it's how you finish but it could be about you know it can, there's no reason why it can't be about how you start and about how you finish you know mentioning the Celtics outscored the Warriors by 11 in the first quarter and now it's scored them by 12 in the fourth quarter as to you know both the wins so far for the Celtics in this NBA finals have you know showed that they've been dominant in the final quarter uh, you know outscored them 23 to 11 I mean imagine that the Warriors and their high flying offense and everything they've built on for the last you know decade or so they can only score 11 points in the fourth quarter and just so much credit to the Celtics defense how good they are. Robert Williams had four blocks in this game, kind of felt like the size was going to be a factor in this series, and so far it has. Uh, at least you would feel like, and certainly in that moment it did, you know, he was a you know great rim protector for the Celtics, and that's what he's done all year. He's healthy, he's playing well so far for them, and definitely a good player so far in this series, and you, a great stat there with uh, you know Tatum and, and Smart and Brown doing what they do. Those are the three main scorers, and they all performed really well and did a, lot of, a little bit of everything, and uh, just so much credit to the Celtics. They played so well in this game, and they, they deservedly won 116 100 and you look at the box score it certainly feels like they should have won and they did um they did a great job in this game so you know overall they were you know like i said just kind of they, they shot it well you know they shot 48 percent from the field so that obviously helps when you shoot it that good and they were just in control in this game and again you know in terms of like the first quarter last quarter that's that's, that's obviously huge for them so their, their defense has been you know in those games in the fourth quarter going to lock it down and do what they needed to do so pretty impressive stuff and uh you know like you said you know uh, well, i was gonna say jason tam didn't shoot it that well in this series but 
or in this game, but he, he got a lot of shots up as soon as able to produce at the end of the day. And that's what those guys typically do. You know, he's a scorer. So he's going to get those shots up. And, and then Jordan Poole, like you mentioned, he only had 10 points, but he shot it well, though. He was four for eight from the field. I feel like, you know, I think the Celtics defense is just making it really hard for him to get going and get good looks because it's not that many shot attempts for a guy who was early in this postseason really off to a great start. Now only gets eight shot attempts in this game. You feel like he's going to need to get more involved. And so, you know, because with Draymond Green, just doesn't have the offensive firepower. And so, you know, they just don't have enough from him. And I know, like you said, he owned up to it and you know, he didn't play well and he knows that. And, uh, and that was a big part of this. So Celtics with the win in game three, take a two, one series lead. And then we have game four tomorrow night, or I guess by the time you guys hear this, it'll be Friday, June 10th is when game four taking place in Boston. And they got a couple days off over the weekend for travel. Game five will be back in the Bay area. The Warriors hosting that one. We'll see if they're down three, one or evened up at two, two. That'll be obviously be a big deal. And then game six will be Thursday, June 16th. And at that point, if we even have a game six, right? Cause it's not guaranteed at this point. And then of course, game seven, if we have one, will be next Sunday, June 19th. And we're not going to get, you know, obviously about to get into any of that right now or, We'll record next week, you know, one of those three days in the middle of the week, and we'll see exactly where we're at that point. Yeah, it certainly should be interesting to see what happens going forward. Obviously, a really good series so far, even though all of the games have been, you know, decided by, you know, 10 or more points. You know, all of the games on paper, they don't look like they were, you know, too close, but they certainly all have been really close games throughout the course of it for the most part. And now we'll see what happens. Like you said, game four and game five coming up on, you know, Friday and then this following Monday. And then, you know, we'll see what what happens in those games. We'll see if uh, the Warriors can win at least one of those two games, you know, obviously to make us have a game six. And then, like you said, that'll be next Thursday. And then after that, if we do have a game seven the following Sunday on June 19th. So we'll see if they go to seven certainly it's a series that we talked about last week you know it has that potential I know I said Celtics in six certainly it's a a possibility right now Uh, and you said Celtics in seven so we'll see how it goes but you know if I have to just guess right now I would say we might be recording on Tuesday of next week that seems like the best way to do it because you know that's after game five on Monday Uh, at that point the series could be over if not you know we'll have we'll be able to talk about and then at that point we could just wrap it up you know actually at the same time if the series is over after game five we, we may record on a Wednesday we'll see but if the game I would say if if there is going to be a game six you know then we were gonna, probably going to record on Tuesday of next week have the episode out on Wednesday which is the day ahead of game six which would be on Thursday and so we'll see how it goes uh, certainly the way these next two games are really just depending on the way game five yeah depending on the way game four and game five go you know that kind of you know dictate how we do things I've kind of uh, made this more choppy but the point is should be a fun series still as it goes along. We, you know, you're all caught up now on where it's at. Tomorrow, game four, which for you guys would be today, and then game five on Monday, and we'll see where we're at at that point. I think they got it. I think they got it. I think uh, you know if this is a gentleman's sweep for the Celtics, we'll record on Tuesday. If it's not, we'll. I mean, I mean, we'll record any day after that. It doesn't really matter. But if it's a game, if there's gonna be a game six on Thursday, we'll record on Tuesday. Have the episode out next Wednesday ahead of time, and just only have to recap, recap a couple of games and. You know, obviously, we have a couple games left. No matter what, we only have, you know, we'll see exactly how it goes. But anyway, I think we got it. Uh, we talked about the NBA there for about 15 minutes or so, a little bit more than that, and, and covered those three games so far. It's been a you know, fairly competitive NBA Finals. I think some of the the biggest headlines so far is just some guys not shooting so well, and uh, and some quarters that just kind of got away from some teams. And uh, or, you know, obviously, there's only two teams, but you know, th- I think we've you showed that a couple of those quarters were just one team outscoring the other one by a pretty good margin, and then obviously, it's kind of a big deal with some of those runs, getting all the momentum, and then you know 
to especially depending on where it is in the game. So uh, we'll move on now to uh, MLB, and we have a standings update. You know, it's the first time we've done this all season. We haven't talked MLB at length other than news and notes uh, since, you know, way back in, uh, you know, April or uh, late March. I guess it was early April, right, right before the season started. Uh, their April 7th was opening day, and uh, obviously we had one week pushed back due to the uh, – the holdout and the lockout and everything, and thankfully we got going, you know, only one week late. We've had some doubleheaders mixed in, I think, already, and we're going to continue to see that throughout the rest of the season, those games that are have to be made up, but I don't think it's it's been much of a problem so far, and we're about two months in now, which is, you know, after Memorial Day, so it's I feel like the standings are pretty representative and, and fairly indicative of what we're going to see the rest of the season, and so it's, and we'll go ahead and get right into it, and we'll start with the AL East, and uh, we'll, we'll try to make each division somewhat brief. I'll talk for a couple minutes, and you'll talk for a couple minutes, and we'll kind of just go at it that way, so in the AL East, we have the New York Yankees who I believe have the best record in the American League right now at 41-16. and 16. It's been an unbelievable season so far for the Yankees. Uh, probably just because they've stayed healthy and they've actually lived, lived up to expectations and the starting rotation has been so good for them this year. I mean, absolutely dynamite. Uh, Aaron Judge is going crazy and uh, the bullpen is locked down. So they're 25 games over 500 and, and playing as good as anybody in baseball right now with a run differential north of 100. Um, and, uh, you know, they're obviously you know, won eight of their last 10. So they're in a good spot right now. The Rays are second in that division, 34 and 23. Again, they're, they're going to start getting some guys healthy. They're going to get Shane Boz here pretty soon in the starting rotation. They've still pitched it well this year. And, uh, and you know, they only have a 22 plus 22 run differential, but they just find ways to win games. 11 games over 500, just swept the Cardinals this week. So they're in a pretty good spot and they're battling and they're competitive and they are well over 500, which is kind of what you've come to expect from the Tampa Bay Rays. The Toronto Blue Jays have since got it going a little bit. You know, they got off to a great start, winning a lot of close games, and they kind of had a little bit of a rough patch there where the offense wasn't clicking. And now they've really got it going lately. They're 7-3 in their last 10 games. Uh, they're 33-23, and 23, so 10 games over 500 with the run differential at plus 21. So uh, still haven't seen them at their peak probably, but they're playing pretty well right now. The Boston Red Sox are playing really good at 30-28. and 28. You know, I say that because they started really bad. I mean, they had a horrible start. Their bullpen was really bad. Uh, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. They have a plus 38 run differential, and ultimately they've been playing better. They were just actually lost tonight for the first time in about a week. They were on a seven-game winning streak. So the starting rotation has been better lately. The offense for about a month has been one of the best in baseball ever since Alex Cora shaved his beard, which has been a big part of this. And so the Red Sox over 500 and we'll see if they can uh, stay there. And the Baltimore Orioles sitting there in the bottom of the ALEs, as you expect, but they've been pretty competitive this year. Their bullpen's actually really good. They're only 10 games over 500, which is, or two, 10 games under 500, of course, which isn't as bad as I think probably some people might have expected them to be. Uh, they got Adley Rushman, you know, obviously back up here, uh, or up here for the first time, right, making his major league debut a couple weeks ago. He's kind of struggled, but again, they've been stingy at times. The offense has been able to produce some runs, and they haven't been absolutely terrible. So there's been some bright spots for the O's. Yeah, definitely good stuff there in the AL East. It should be, you know, should continue to be an exciting uh, division going forward. Of course, the Yankees at this point are in a good position, you know, in the division. I don't think they're going to run away with it, though. There's still a lot of baseball to be played. The Rays are still, you know, you know, they're seven games back. They're not out of this thing yet. Toronto's the same way. So, and this is certainly a division where we could see, I would think, I think at least three playoff teams come out of this division, which is what I expected when the season started, maybe four, depending on how things shake out. So I think it's arguably the best division in baseball. And you did a good job covering it from, from the top to the bottom and the Yankees not only have the best record in the American League but they have the best record in the MLB, in MLB right now and they're second in run differential only behind the Dodgers so it just tells you a lot, a lot of what you need to know about the Yankees they've just been so phenomenal all season long we'll talk about that a little bit later on in some news and notes 
So as I move on to the AL Central now, the Minnesota Twins lead this division at this time, 33-26 and 26 on the season. They've been, I think, to me, a little bit surprising, but, you know, maybe some people, I think people within the organization certainly feel like they had a chance this year, but they've stayed healthy for the most part. Byron Buxton's been terrific uh, at times this season. He's been able to stay on the field. Carlos Correa, obviously, was a big acquisition for them. He's been good throughout the course of the year. Their pitching has been better than I expected. Their bullpen's pretty sound, and they've been, you know, at the top of this division, I think, for a good chunk of the season so far. So you have to give them credit. They played well. Uh, the Cleveland Indians, Excuse me, that's the first time I made this mistake. The Cleveland Guardians, right now, 27 and 26, just one game over 500. Kind of what I expected this year. You know, they were kind of an intriguing team coming into the year. I didn't really know what to expect from them, but I think they've kind of done what I thought. You know, they've pitched reasonably well throughout the course of the year. Their bats, you know, have not been great at times, but Jose Ramirez certainly has been uh, absolutely terrific this year and certainly an MVP candidate right now. He's been arguably the best player in baseball this year, and he's been a big part of their offense, and they've been able to, you know, stay with, uh, stay with it in a good spot in this division. So we'll see how they're able to perform going forward they're actually eight and two in their last 10 games too so playing really well right now chicago white Sox third in this division right now they've been disappointing this year three games under 500 right now uh, 26 and 29 a, a negative 57 run differential is not what i would have expected at this time you know their offense just hasn't been good enough this year they've battled some injuries at times so and that's the big thing i think too they've had injuries you know Ilo jimenez has been out for a long time now with a hamstring injury hopefully he'll come back sooner rather than later lance lynn's been out all season but i think he's coming back soon so that's good for their rotation uh, there's still a lot of talent there but they have to get healthy and they have to start hitting you know they just haven't hit that much this year their pitching has been solid but they just need to be able to score more runs they have an offense that can be explosive and they haven't been so far so we'll see what they can do going forward the Detroit Tigers 23 and 33 at four uh, in fourth in this division they haven't been as I thought they were going to take a bigger step this year than they, you know, after last year, they really overachieved. I thought for the most part, they haven't taken a huge step this year in a good direction. They just feel like their offense hasn't been good enough. I think if you look at the, uh, categories, the offensive categories around MLB, they're usually pretty much near the bottom in most of those categories. Their offense just hasn't been good enough this year so far. They've also had, you know, not great pitching at times. They've had injuries in their pitching staff. Uh, Tarek Skubal, though, has been, you know, just an amazing pitcher for them this year. He's been their ace, and he's definitely on track to be in the All-Star game with the way he's performing this year. So that's a really good bright spot for them. Of course, they've still had, you know, good things happen offensively. Miguel Cabrera has been, you know, really good for them once again, which, you know, is kind of a good thing and, not also, and also not a great thing because he's, you know, obviously one of the older players and they really would like to see some of the younger guys come around, but he's been a bright spot for them this year with some of the things he's been able to do and the milestones he's reached. So they're 10 games, below 500, you know, we'll see what they can do going forward, but I still feel like at this point, they're a little bit uh, disappointing, uh, but we'll see how it goes. And then finally the Kansas city Royals last in this division, 19 and 37, which is uh, among, you know, I think it's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst record in MLB right now, just behind my Cincinnati reds. They just been really bad this year, you know, and there's no way to put it than that. Their pitching has been awful this year for the most part. I think they've also battled some injuries in their rotation, but you know, coming into the year, I always thought their rotation was a little bit shaky and didn't really know what you were going to get out of it. They haven't been good. Their offense hasn't been very good either at times. So overall, there just hasn't been a lot to be excited about for this team. You know, minus, you know, negative 90 run differentials, one of the worst in MLB. And uh, like I said, three and seven in the last 10 games. So they've really been struggling lately too. And just, you know, 18 games below 500, just not a good year right now for the Royals. Yeah, you know, the Twins, uh, you know, go back to, I just want to, you know, run through it quickly, too, or not, like, you know, a little bit different perspective, but the Twins, yeah, I mean, Carlos Correa, I think he struggled early, then he had an injury, he started getting going, then he got hurt, and then he got going a little bit like, uh, a little bit again, then he got COVID, now he's finally back, so they haven't actually reached their potential yet, I don't feel like, uh, and there's seven games over 500, the offense is really good, and if Carlos Correa actually starts getting going, you know, it, it could be a scary group, and the Guardians have pitched well, and uh, for the most part, actually, well, I mean, I feel like the top of the rotation, they've had some struggles, and Jose Ramirez has been outstanding, and you mentioned the 
White Sox, the injuries. Tim Anderson's also hurt right now with that groin, which is disappointing. And the starting rotation hasn't been able to carry the load with that offense disappointment. Luis Roberts kind of struggled this year. And, uh, and the Tigers, you mentioned that uh, their bullpen's really good, too. Their offense just does not have enough. And uh, they don't have even enough rotation, but Scooble's been awesome. And the Royals have just, uh, I think they've been pretty disappointing. I feel like at this point, they probably wanted to be better. They weren't a team I was expected to do anything this year necessarily, but uh, still kind of struggling in this rebuild to really win games. And so we'll see about that. As for the American League West, my Houston Astros in complete control out in the West right now uh, because of the recent struggles with the Angels that I'll get to in a moment. But the Astros, terrific May for my, my squad down there in H-Town. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the offense has had some moments. Certainly, I feel like they've had some bad games, but they've had some games where they just took over, and, uh, and so that's been great. But the starting pitching has really been the story. They've been awesome this year. The ERA is amongst the best in all of baseball. As, as a staff, the bullpen's been really good. So, I mean, it's a team, and we obviously know how to win a lot, and uh, and we and we, it's like we've done 15 games over 500. 7-3 in the last 10 games. The run differentials plus 45 something crazy but uh you know consistently finding ways to win games and doing it on the road and at home so it's been good so far like i said the month of may was really good after we kind of were a little bit up and down in, uh, in the first month of the season uh, the angels they were 10 games over 500 uh, until they went on a 14 game losing streak which was a franchise record and they just won tonight against the red Sox, which is really good they finally snapped their losing streak but they're still you know three games under 500 now they just fired joe madden a couple of days ago which was kind of uh, weird i thought it wasn't really his fault Honestly, I thought they were playing really well and everything was good. And they went, I feel like they went from, you know, a great start to an interim manager so fast. It was crazy. So we'll see if the Angels can kind of rally. Uh, good for them to win tonight. You know, they've had some injuries and Mike Trout's out right now and their offense kind of struggled a little bit and starting rotations kind of regressed a little bit lately. So we'll see if they can get it going again. And the Texas Rangers have played better than people expected this year, better than I thought. You know, they're only four games under 500 in this division at 26 and 30. The offense has been pretty good. Their run differential is probably one of the most uh, even you'll see at just five uh, over, you know, plus five run differential. And they've, they've had some good starts, which has helped. Their offense has been pretty good. You know, we've seen some, some slugging out of those guys. And, uh, you know, Marcus Simeon had a really rough start to the season. But over the last couple of weeks, he's been one of the best players in baseball, which is what they expected when they gave him that huge contract was for him to perform at the top of the lineup and and so that's been really good for them to get him going and so it's a team that's found ways to win games and uh, and we'll see if they can keep it going here into the summer months the seattle mariners have been one of the more disappointing teams so far this season at five games under 500 26 and 31 i thought they've been playing better lately but they're still have a negative run differential they still haven't really put it all together it's been good to see julio rodriguez you know be pretty impressive this year i think he leads mlb in stolen bases and he's had some more power lately he's starting to you know find his power stroke and they've had some you know ty france has been outstanding for them so they've had some bright spots certainly logan gilbert's been great but just like a lack of consistency and they've just let some games get away from them haven't been you know as clutch and getting some of those one run wins that we saw last year and so they've been better lately but they still have some work to do and the Oakland Athletics bring up the rear in the AL West. They have really struggled lately. They're 19 games below 500, one and nine their last 10 games. I feel like early in the season they were kind of winning for whatever reason. It was kind of a win of those weird Oakland A's starts where they sold everybody and still were finding ways to win games early in the season, kind of hovering around 500. But it has been an absolute struggle for these guys lately, just winning, or excuse me, just losing, obviously, uh, series after series, getting swept uh, quite a bit lately. So it's just been a struggle for them. They just don't have the pitching. And uh, Frankie Montas is the best part of that pitching staff, and he's not really even really sure how much longer he's going to be there if they maybe decide to trade him so Astros sitting comfortable in the AOS with a nearly double digit lead 
Yeah, good stuff there in the NOS. Certainly the Astros, the class of that division, have played super well this year once again. They just take care of business seemingly every single series. They're doing great things. Like you said, the Angels, that huge losing streak, you know, 14-game uh, losing streak prior to final losing tonight. It's really unfortunate for them, and I, I don't think that Joe Madden was the problem, so it's surprising he's gone now, but we'll see what they can do going forward. They're not out of it yet. It's just they got to get going again. The Rangers, I knew they were going to be better this year. I expected, I expected them to be better this year, and, and but like you said, there might be, you know, even overachieving more than I thought they would be, but Martin Perez has been phenomenal for them at the top of the rotation. He's a legit Scion candidate right now, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see if uh, whether at the All Star break if he ends up being a guy who could get flipped because he's a free agent after this season. So that's going to be interesting. The Mariners, like you said, haven't been as good this year. They haven't gotten you know a lot of contributions from Jesse Winker. You know, it was a big acquisition for them in the, during the off season, but he hasn't really hit that well. And Robbie Ray was their big free agent signing, and he hasn't been that good. I think he's been I think he's gotten a lot of swings and misses this year, a lot of whiffs but he's just given up a ton of home runs, really struggled for the most part. And so they just had some guys who haven't been able to deliver like they thought they would. And then Oakland, you know, as far as them, you know, I, I, they can only do so much. They did start off kind of weird, like they were kind of competing a little bit, but they're kind of getting, they're regressing like we thought they would be at this point. This is the team we expected. They're just not good enough to do anything this year. As for the NL East now, as we shift to the senior circuit, the New York Mets lead this division 38-21, and the best record in the National League. The Mets have been terrific all season long, plus 64 run differential, 6-4 uh, in the last 10 games. Uh, they've been terrific at home, 19-8. They've just been a terrific team all season long. They've found ways to win games time and time again. Their pitching has been you know, really good for the most part, even though they have not had Jacob deGrom all season long and uh, have been without Max Scherzer for a little while now, too, due to an, due to an, uh, an oblique injury. I believe it was and so uh, but ultimately they've still been pretty good you know as far as pitching is concerned their offense has been great too Pete Alonso is having a terrific season right now for the Mets Francisco Lindor is playing like he was expected to whenever he signed that huge contract with them before last season and Starling Marte has been great for them they've had a number of good free agent signings that have actually panned out really well so far so just a lot of good things about that you can say about the Mets this year they've been fantastic uh, the Atlanta Braves, 31-27, and 27, have really been playing well lately. Of course, the defending world champions didn't really get off to a great start this year. Uh, but, you know, it took them a while to get over 500, but they finally did over this past weekend, I think it was, uh, when they swept the Rockies in Colorado. They're on an eight-game winning streak right now, 8-2 in the last 10 games. They're playing like we expect them to, and, you know, they're not out of the division race yet, obviously. There's a lot of time left, six and a half games back. The way they're playing right now, the Mets, you know, they're not comfortable just yet. We still have a long ways to go. The Braves are catching them, and so we'll see what happens. Philadelphia Phillies 28 and 29, one game below 500 right now. Of course, they're a team that has largely disappointed this year. Uh, they fired Joe Girardi as their manager uh, just a little over a week ago, I think it was, or sometime last week. They relieved him of his duties, uh, and so you know, obviously, you know, I think he understood a little bit. You know, they just weren't performing, and ultimately, during his tenure there, they were never as good as maybe they were expected to be with him at the helm. Certainly, this year there was a lot of expectation for the Phillies, and they hadn't played that well uh, before him, uh, you know, getting relieved of his duties. But they played really well lately. You know, they're on a seven-game winning streak right now, seven and three in the last 10 games. They're really playing well. Uh, they still, you know, they're all, they're run differential plus 34. That's not that bad at all. Their expected win-loss record is 32 and 25. So that's a kind of interesting metric you can look at. There's still a lot of talent there. There are still people that believe in this team, and I certainly think they have potential to keep it going. And certainly they're a team that can turn this thing around. They're almost back over 500, so we'll see how it goes. As for your Miami Marlins, 25 and 30, fourth in this division. It's been the same kind of story for them this year. 
year. Uh, you know, they've been able to pitch really well for the most part. Uh, you know, obviously, Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez, we talked about them all season long here on this podcast because seemingly every single week we have a new, uh, a new note to talk about regarding those two guys and how well they're performing on the mound for the Marlins. And of course, Jazz Chisholm uh, Jr. has been terrific for them offensively, but out, you know, for the most part, their offense has been good enough this year. I think everyone's going to understand that. Uh, but I think they have, you know, had their moments here and there. Hopefully, as the, as they move on, they can continue to get more comfortable and continue to play better. They certainly have the pitching, and certainly there, their bullpen hasn't been great at times this year. Um, but ultimately, they need to score more runs. I think that's the biggest problem right now. Still, is their offense isn't good enough. But they're only five games below 500. They still have you know, those two aces at the top of the rotation, and Lopez and Alcantara, and so they're still in this race right now certainly still in the wild card race so it's gonna be fun to watch these guys going forward and then finally the Washington Nationals 21 and 38 right now 17 games below 500 last in this division they have the worst run differential in baseball I believe at negative 91 just behind the Kansas City Royals so this is what I expected from this team you know I didn't have a lot of confidence in them looking at their roster at the beginning of the season just didn't feel like they were good enough to do anything they did get Steven Strasburg back today he pitched for the first time in over a year uh, didn't pitch very well but it was his first start of the year so we'll see what he can do going forward. One of the big stories this year for the Nationals is that Juan Soto has not played very well for them. He was our pick to win the NL MVP award this season because, you know, obviously he's one of the best players in baseball, uh, but he hasn't really performed that well this year. And some of that could be just, you know, playing for such a bad team. You know, and there's some guys around him that aren't just, there's not a lot of, you know, they've had some good batters outside of Soto and they've had some success offensively, but overall the team just isn't good enough. They're losing a lot, you know, three and seven in their last 10 games. They lost three in a row against your Marlins here. And so they're just not good enough. Maybe that kind of affects him a little bit because he's, maybe he's having a hard time getting motivated every day whenever they're just not really competing right now. But it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with him. I know he's, I think he's going to be a free agent after this season. And so I know there's been conversations about him maybe getting traded, but it's just going to be a really fluid situation going forward. But obviously at this point, the Nationals, not a good team at all, not in contention at this time. No, no, they're not. But then the, go back to the top row fast, the Mets. And you mentioned, I mean, it's just fine because this is why we, it's not that come through. But they haven't had Jacob DeGrom at all yet this season. And Max Scherzer got hurt a little while ago, and yet they're still winning a lot of games. Uh, and you mentioned all the, all the kind of the star players that we've come to expect to perform have just been outstanding. And the Mets are just so much better. They're so much more disciplined. They find ways to win games, and they're just very versatile in how they do things on offense, especially. So it's been impressive to watch. The Braves have been great lately. They've, you know, Ronald Cunha Jr., of course, back and playing, you know, like we expect from him, just a superstar talent and, and really heating up. And so that's great for them. And, and the Phillies have been great ever since they fired Joe Girardi, and uh, they've had all those sluggers. They've got a good starting rotation, honestly. It's a good team on paper, and we'll see, you know, the expected win loss record is interesting I kind of forgot that was there and I kind of I don't know if we would have mentioned anywhere in the American League but certainly it's always intriguing to look at and they're supposed to be better than they are by a couple of games and you would think they should get it going I have to make it a playoff so I'm hoping they kind of get it going from my you know playoff prediction standpoint not that I care that much but you know my Marlins as you mentioned you know it's been kind of I feel like I've I've enjoyed this season a little bit but also been some frustrations we lost a lot of one-run games again we kind of you know having a hard time finding ways to win close games starting rotation outside those top two has been a little leaky at times and some injuries there and the offense just hasn't been able to do enough the bullpen's lost some games for us late you know they haven't been as great as I was kind of hoping they would be and you know, our expected win-loss record is actually 30 and 25, not 25 and 30 like the actual record is. So, you know, hopefully we'll kind of get it going here a little bit uh, here into the summer months. We're still not out of this division yet. We haven't played the Mets yet, actually. We have a bunch of games coming up against them moving forward. And so they're obviously really good. But if we can win head-to-head quite a bit against them, all of a sudden that's the way to get back into it. So kind of control our own destiny a little bit. And the Nationals, as you mentioned, really bad this year. And there's not a lot of protection around Juan Soto in the lineup necessarily. And I don't think he's a free agent at the end of the year, but he's he wants to get a huge contract. And, you know, rightfully 
so for the most part for what he's done so far this uh, this in his career, not this season, but in his career. And you know the Nationals, you know, might not be the team to give him that huge contract. And with the way they are right now in their you know franchise, you would think they would be able to trade him for an unbelievable haul, and that would be the way to continue to rebuild. So we'll see what they do. As for the National League Central, your division, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers leading the way at 33 and 26, uh, but the run differential not not really impressive at all. They're only 10 uh, plus 10 on the run differential. They're two and eight in their last 10 games. They've really been struggling lately. The offense is not really scoring runs. Now they just got William Adames back recently, which is good. He missed quite a bit of time, and he's probably one of the best bats, and definitely one of the best bats in their lineup, if not the best bat in their lineup, because Christian Yelich, who got off to a good start of this season, has really struggled lately. Uh, they have injuries right now, which is really hurting them. Freddie Peralta got hurt a couple weeks ago, and he's going to be out for a long time. Brandon Woodruff was out with an ankle injury. I'm not sure if that's that shouldn't be a long-term injury, but he's still going to miss. He's missed some time now, which is unfortunate. Um, their bullpen's been pretty reliable outside of Josh Hader actually blowing a save the other day, which was which was rare. And Corbin Burns hasn't been as lights out. And has I mean, for the most part, he still had a bunch of good starts, but there have been some starts that haven't gone his way. And so they're you know I feel like so far they're probably they're kind of a dangerous spot right now if they don't kind of get back on track. Um, St. Louis Cardinals there in second at 32 and 26. Uh, only a half game out of first place. We kind of figured it'd be these two teams jockeying for this division all year long, and uh, they have a plus 43 run differential, and, uh, and their offense has been really quality, right? They don't strike out very much. Paul Goldschmidt is on another planet right now, having the best season of his career, and, uh, you know, we still, you know, I think Nolan Arnold, Nolan Arnold got off to a great start. He hasn't been as good, but he's still been productive, and Tommy Edmonds had a great year, and they've got Nolan Gorman, the young guy, who's come up and had some good ABs for them and had some big hits, so the offense is certainly there, and Adam Wainwright's still pitching really well, and, you know, their, their starting rotation has had their moments miles michaelis so it feels like the cardinals are the better team right now and certainly they have an opportunity right here to to take this division lead and see where that goes the other three teams in the division are not very competitive. The Pittsburgh Pirates actually third, but they're seven games below 500, and we we know what they are with a run differential of negative 81, one of the worst in baseball. They've had some games that have really gotten away from them, which has made that look worse than it is, but their expected win-loss record is actually worse than they are, which is interesting. Their starting rotation isn't good, uh, and, and the lineup just hasn't doesn't have a lot of impactful bats, which was what we expected kind of coming in, but they haven't. You know, Jackson Wincy's been a bright spot. The rookie who's hit some homers for them and been uh, had some moments, but at the end of the day, the Pirates are still not very good, and, and that's kind of what we thought so nothing surprising there and the Chicago Cubs maybe it's surprising they're actually below the Pirates they're 23 and 33 10 games below 500 the run differential not that bad actually at minus 19 and uh, and they've had some good starting pitching at times this year but it hasn't been you know great I feel like Marcus Stroman's had some some really bad games there for them they signed him to a big contract thought he'd be good Wilson Contreras has been great the offense has definitely been the better part of the Cubs uh, this year they've had some good games there at Wrigley and been able to score some runs actually been as good at home as they've been on the road but they've been able to score some runs this year and so we'll see if they can kind of get it going a little bit. But you would think Wilson Contreras is probably going to get traded at the trade deadline when it's all said and done. And then your Cincinnati Reds bring up the rear in the NL Central, but despite being 17 games under 500, they have been you know pretty good lately, and they have to give them credit. They started the season horrible. They were three and 22. It was an unbelievably terrible start, you know, starting that way. Uh, you know, 19 games below 500. Now they're 17 games below 500, but it's still been a whole lot better um, for them. You know, they've been able to win some games. They're four and six in their last 10, but the run differential, you know, still negative 54. Obviously, it's still a bad team, right? But it could have been a whole lot worse the way they started. They've been able to compete a little bit and. Uh, They've obviously, because they were 19 games below 500, now being 17 games below 500, I mean, doing the quick math here, they're like, what, 17 and uh, 15, their last 32 games, which isn't great, but a little over 500. The offense is clicked. Joey Votto's been healthy and hitting it well, and uh, they've had some good starting pitching at times. So the bullpen's still the worst part of the team, but they've had some moments, and it's been a little bit better there uh, for your team. 
Yeah, definitely. So yeah, the NL Central, you covered it really well. You know, Milwaukee, 33 and 26, you know, St. Louis right behind them. It's going to be those two teams pretty much jockeying, I would say, for most of the season. That's kind of what we expected. I think the expectation was a, a two-horse race, you know, between those two teams, and uh, that seems to be the case right now. But the Brewers, like you said, they're really having a tough time right now. Their offense just hasn't been good enough at times this season, and their pitching has been good, but they've battled some injuries here, and uh, we'll see if they can kind of get things back on track. They've lost six games in a row. St. Louis right behind them, like I just said, they're, they've been terrific this year, uh, 32 and 26, and they certainly have the potential to pass up Milwaukee. And, you know, they're just, they've been really sound this season pitching wise. They've been pretty good. Offensively, they've done some great things, you know, led by Paul Goldschmidt, like you said. So it's a good group. And then Pittsburgh, 24 and 31. You know, as you mentioned, uh, they're, they're, we expect them to be pretty bad. Uh, they've been, you know, like you said, they expect the win loss record being, you know, worse than their actual record is pretty interesting. But I guess it's mainly because of the run differential. I think the run differential is probably the, the main factor that goes into that expected win loss record and yeah Pittsburgh has been struggling has struggled this year a lot of bad games a lot of, or a lot of bad blowouts have hurt that run differential but overall not a not a really competitive club Chicago Cubs as well not very good this year either you talk about their pitching has been decent at times and that's true but again I think we knew coming into the season their pitching staff wasn't good enough they're going to get beat up a handful of times and they've had some really bad outings and struggled out and struggled in that regard and their offense definitely has been the bright spot of their team including Wilson Contreras has been you know the best hitting catcher in MLB this year and then my Reds of course 20 and 37 but as you mentioned early in the season it was really bad and I was really worried about this team early in the year because I knew we were going to be bad this year I think everybody knew that we were going to struggle especially after we just you know because of the offseason that we had where we basically just let everybody walk out the door and also like push people out the door by trading them away and so we just lost a lot of guys and we knew that it was going to be a tough year after last year we were fighting for a playoff spot throughout the course of the season and I think I saw you know we're having we have six playoff teams in each league this year and if that was the case last year the Reds would have been that six seed we would have made it in there uh, now you know but then in the, in the offseason we basically just you know gave up trying to compete this year so and then to start off three and 22 was even worse than I ever imagined and it was really embarrassing and started to get worried about how many games are we going to win this year has been better as of late like you said 17 and 15 our last 32 games and I think at this point we're, we're on track to avoid a historically bad season which is a good thing for for me and for Reds fans and uh, for the Reds in general so with that being said uh, my laptop's freezing up on me here okay here we go and so the final division here, the NL West, we have the Los Angeles Dodgers leading this division, 37 and 20, the best run differential in baseball at plus 114, uh, but not the best record in, in MLB or even in the National League because they've had some struggles as of late. Four and six in their last 10 games are the Dodgers, but of course they're obviously going to be a you know terrific team all the way throughout the course of the season. They should, I would think, be able to win this division, but it's going to be close. The San Diego Padres are right behind them, uh, so it's going to be really close as it goes along. But but the Dodgers, they're going to get Clayton Kershaw back on Sunday. He's been out for a little while now with a back injury. They haven't played to their full potential, I think, at times this year. I think they've had some guys in the lineup that have been terrific, like a Max Muncy who struggled at times this season but did have a big game today. So we'll see if they can uh, get even better. I think they certainly – you talked about the Twins earlier not reaching their full potential. I think the Dodgers can still play better, and they will going forward. Uh, the San Diego Padres, like I said, right behind them, 35-22, and 22, two games back out of first place. They've been terrific this year, you know, especially when you consider they haven't had Fernando Tati junior all season and you know he still probably won't be back until the early part of Ju of july which is probably you know not they 
certainly they thought he could get back sooner than that. I think coming into the season, they were expecting sometime in June, but now it's kind of going to be more like July by the time he comes back. They're just taking it slow with him because you know, they had that wrist surgery, and you got to be really careful when you're dealing with a wrist injury, and they just want to make sure that he's going to be good to go when he comes back and can be healthy and effective for them. Uh, but Manny Machado has been so awesome for the Padres this year. He's really been their best offensive player and one of the best offensive players in MLB so far this season, and has been a big reason why they've been able to be so competitive along with their pitching staff, which has been led by Joe Musgrove, who's been phenomenal this season for the Padres with one of the best ERAs in baseball. He's been great. You Darvish has been great for the most part. Shamanaya. And they've ultimately had a lot of good starting pitching that's been, or guys who have been able to go deep into ball games to help out their bullpen. Taylor Rogers has been terrific for them. So it's, it's a really good team, really sound group of guys uh, on that team. And that's why they've been able to compete with the Dodgers. I think they have a chance to get better as the season progresses as well. The San Francisco Giants, 30-26, third in this division. They haven't been as good as they were last year, which was expected. They were obviously going to regress. They were so uh, awesome last year, and they overachieved, you know, winning this division. But, you know, they've still been a team. Like they've battled injuries throughout the, course of, throughout the course of the year so far. Their pitching hasn't been as good as it was last year, but they're still good town here. They're still only four games below 500, uh, plus 27 run differential, you know, five five of the last 10 games. But I think it's still a, a solid group, a, a solid group, a solid team. But I, I think this is kind of, we're going to see them most of the season kind of hanging around in the wild card race in the middle of this division. I just don't think they're good enough to compete with the Dodgers and the Padres as the season goes on. The Arizona Diamondbacks, fourth in this division, 28 and 31. They started the season pretty good for the most part. And I think even right now, they're, they're more impressive than I thought they would be. Only three games below 500 in this division is very impressive for the Diamondbacks. They're five and five in their last 10 games. Their run differential, not great. And that means that their expected win loss record is worse than their actual record. But ultimately, they're pitching. You know, I don't think they've been as good as of late but they started off this season really good and I think their offense has been decent at times too so it's, it's a group it's a team that's been better than expected I don't think they're going to be able to compete I think as the season goes on we'll see them kind of fall more below 500 but we'll see they've been better than expected so far and then the Colorado Rockies finishing up here in the NLS with uh, in last place 25 and 32 right now are the Rockies negative 60 run differential it's been pretty rough for the Rockies I think they started the season pretty good for the most part for like the first you know 15 20 30 games, but I think at this point, they're kind of getting back to where we expect them to be. Ultimately, their pitching just isn't good enough, especially in that ballpark. You know, they're just giving up too many runs, and then offensively, they can do yeah, they, have, they can do some good things. They can score runs with the best of them, but it's kind of inconsistent at times, and I still think that on the road, they struggle to score runs, and they struggle to play that well, which is, you know, which makes sense. They're nine and 16 on the road. So I said that before looking at their record, but yeah, they're nine and 16 on the road this year, 500 at home. So at the end of the day, it's just kind of what we expected from the Rockies. And that's uh, what things look like in the NL West. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a really, I was going to say, it was a really competitive division early in the season, right? For the first couple of weeks, maybe even the first month, probably not the first month, I think probably first two, three weeks, they were all over 500, which was uh, pretty remarkable. Everyone was like, a lot of credit goes to the NL West. It's a really good division. We kind of expected it to be one of the better divisions in baseball, and they're all over 500. And, and this is a good representation of why we're, we waited till the two month mark, you know, after Memorial Day, which is an unofficial benchmark in the season. And then again, two months of the season started because now we're starting to see teams regress or, uh, uh, come back to the mean, so to speak, or, or play like we expected them to. And so it's more realistic. This is likely what the standings are probably going to look like for most of the rest of the season to some extent. Obviously, some teams are going to move up and down, but uh, some of the teams that most of the teams that we expected to play well have played well, and the teams that aren't very good or haven't played that necessarily that well. And there's still some teams that have performed over expectation, and we'll see how that continues to progress into the summer. But again, as you mentioned, the Dodgers, they've they've uh, been able to win quite a bit of games, even if they haven't really had, even if they've had some moments where they haven't been so great. Um, but 37 and 20, the starting pitching is still really good. And, and Clayton Kershaw 
Kershaw's about to come back, uh, which is good for them because he was out for a little bit of time, and he's been just as good as, as he's ever been, you know, just kind of as he's gotten older, he's found ways to continue to pitch at a high level, and so getting him back is going to be nice for them. And Joe Musgrove's been outstanding for the Padres this year. Their starting rotation's been awesome, and the offense has just, you know, kind of limped along, kind of what I expected, right? Can they score enough runs without Tatis? And they've had some moments where they haven't played so well, but they get Tatis back sooner around later. They've been able to stay well above water, you know, being the 500 mark. So that's, you know, really encouraging for them. The Giants, we you mentioned their regression. I think we're coming into the season where we're wondering, we knew they were going to regress, but I think for them it's been kind of ups. I think for unfortunate that each part of their team has kind of took a step back a little bit, right? The bullpen hasn't been quite as sharp. The, you know, the lineup hasn't scored as many runs, have been as clutch in some of those situations. The starting rotations had some injuries, and they've had some poor games at times. Logan Webb hasn't been that great necessarily. He's been kind of inconsistent and just gets beat up every now and then, kind of grinds through it, and, and it hasn't been super crisp. He's been absolutely dominant like we saw him down the stretch last year. So every part of their team's kind of taken a little bit of a step back, and that's why they're just a little bit over 500, but still competitive for the most part and still a team that you can get it going at any time if they can click at the right time and, and, and be a quality group. And the Diamondbacks starting rotation was really good to start the season. Their lineup was bad. They've scored more runs lately in the starting rotation, taking a little bit of a step back. So they haven't really ever conjoined the two at the same time. And I don't know if they ever will. They'll probably be, you know, pretty good and decent the rest of the season, but the tough division. And, you know, we'll see if they can kind of hang around 500 and, and maybe make a run at some point. And you mentioned the Rockies. I mean, off to a little bit of a decent start. They haven't had Chris Bryant healthy like all year. And that's one of the weirder storylines that they come into this. They signed that mega contract. Kind of weird that he even came there in the first place because they're not really a team that's ready to win. He signs that huge contract, had a back end. Injury, came back for like a day before they put him back on the injured list again with the same back injury right so he's had a you know a really you know long stay on the injured list which is really disappointing for him and Rockies fans especially in that whole team but CJ Crone's been great and they've got some bats in the lineup and again the right rotation just every time you talk about Colorado you just know they're not gonna be able to pitch consistently enough and so that's about kind of been the storyline there uh, over there in the Rockies so uh, we'll move on now as we finish up the standings update which I think was pretty good for us uh, you know we probably start a little uh, quickly probably got a little more lengthy towards the end but we covered it all for the most part and uh, so we'll go ahead and move on now to uh, the uh, some of the stat leaders so far which just will be really quick because it doesn't need to be very long we kind of talked about all these teams and some of these players kind of run along with that so we'll start with the batting stats Luis Arias currently leads MLB uh, in average at 359 he's been a great leadoff hitter for the twins yeah, he's been fantastic. I'm not going to talk about each player. I don't think you will either. So Aaron Judge currently leading the uh, league in home runs with 22. Uh, Jose Ramirez leading the league in RBI right now with 55. And then Julio Rodriguez leading the league in stolen bases with 17. Yeah, I wasn't really sure how we were going to run with this, but it could just be simple as that. So uh, Mookie Betts leading the league in run score with 52, obviously getting on base a lot and scoring. Luis Arias, though, leading the league in on base percentage uh, as well as average. So I just mentioned him leading the league in average, leading the league in on base percentage as well with a 447. So again, setting the table for those guys in that Twins lineup. And Aaron Judge, you mentioned the 22 homers. You know, it makes sense they lead the league in slugging at 671, and he also leads the league in OPS at 1,054. Yeah, and then just moving through more offensive batting stats here. Rafael Devers leads the league in hits right now with 80. Uh, Matt Olson leads the league in doubles with 24. Uh, three players are tied for the league lead in triples. We have Jazz Chisholm Jr., uh, Brandon Nimmo, and Jose Ramirez, who all have four triples so far this season. Uh, and then we have Juan Soto leading the league in walks right now with 46, which is actually like 11 more than the next batter. So he's been good at this season, at least at walking uh, at this time. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly a guy that can still great play discipline. So uh, Eugenio Suarez, uh, 77 strikeouts leads MLB. Not a stat you want to be the leader of, but he struck out 77 times. But he's still honestly done some, probably better than Winker. Uh, honestly, probably better than Jesse Winker has been hitting some clutch homers for them. Uh, there's been five um, caught stealing. Oh, this is actually not a good stat. Why is he even on here? Caught stealing. Oh, this is, why would you want to be the leader of this category? Ozzy Albies, Randy Rosarena, Starling Marte, and Tyler Wade have been caught stealing five times this year, which leads MLB, which is, just seems bad. Backwards. Uh, Juan Soto uh, leads the league in games played. 59. Sounds like he's played in all 59 games so far. So do post every day. That's cool. And uh, Cesar Hernandez for the Nationals uh, leads the league in at-bats, which is somewhat notable, uh, certainly. Yeah, those last few stats kind of interesting, and uh, certainly it's uh, it's good that Juan Soto's been playing every day. Like I say, he's been as good this year. But he leads the league in walks, leads the league in games played. Certainly is posting every day, doing the best he can for the Nationals. And as far as pitching stats, which is uh, we're not going to talk about anything else other than batting and pitching stats. I talked about Martin Perez earlier. He leads MLB in ERA with a 1.56 ERA at this time. We have uh, six pitchers tied for the league lead in wins. Tyler Anderson, Carlos Carrasco, Tony Gonsolin, Alec Manoa, Shane McClanahan, and Justin Verlander all have seven wins so far this season. Uh, and then as far as strikeouts, uh, Shane McClanahan leads the league in strikeouts right now with 98. Yeah, as for uh, saves, we have uh, you know Josh Hader and Taylor Rogers of the Brewers and the Padres respectively leading the league in saves with 18 each. Uh, Liam Hendricks uh, and Jordan Romano lead the American League in saves with 16 each with the of course, the White Sox and the Blue Jays, respectively. So those guys, kind of, you know, better teams and some guys who have done a nice job of nailing down games late. Uh, Justin Verlander, my Astros, leads the league in a whip at 0.84. Something he's always been able to do is uh, keep a, a really low whip and just always well below one. Tony Gonson leads the league in batting average allowed at 157. He's been great for the Dodgers this year. Yeah, he's been fantastic for them. Uh, Sandy Alcantara with your Marlins leads the league in innings pitch with 83.2. He's been so good all season long going deep into ball games. Not surprising at all that he leads the league in that statistic. Uh, we have 11 players who are 11 pitchers who are tied for the league lead in complete games with one. So it's kind of a a bit of a large stat here. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, Walker Bueller, Patrick Corbin, Reed Detmers, Nathan Evaldi, Hunter Green, Miles Michaelis, Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta, Framber Valdez, and Michael Waka have all had a complete game so far this season. I know that some of those, though, have been, I know Patrick Corbin was on the road, so it was eight innings. Uh, Miles Michaelis actually just today was on the road, so that was eight innings, and Hunter Green had his was a shortened start. It was seven innings here earlier this week. So not all of them full nine-inning games, but most of them were. Uh, as far as uh, games played, three three pitchers tied for the league leading games played, which is kind of an odd stat. Three, they're all just relief pitchers, and I'm actually not going to mention who they are. Yeah, so my, I was trying to look for something. Uh, so where, <laughs> where did you, where you left off? Where did you leave off again? I left off on games played, but it was all relief pitchers, and I just actually I clicked on it, and I was like, you know what? This isn't an important stat that we don't have to mention. And I also like games played, and also like oh, games. 20, is that 27? Yeah, and, and the big problem is I don't the, the first guy on there. I don't know what his first name is for the athletics, <laughs> and so I just now like that I'm like him. you know what we don't even have to worry about it. I clicked on Unless his name. You want it's, to. It's, yeah, I mean it's Domingo uh, Acevedo at the uh, Oakland Athletics, 27 games. Adam Simber with the Blue Jays, 27 games. And do you know the third guy's name? Colin oh, Snyder. Colin Snyder. Okay, Colin Snyder with the Royals, 27 games. Yeah, those are. And those guys are just getting worked, right? Um, and, and two of them don't even play for very good teams. So uh, that's somewhat interesting. But the game is played so far. 
As for games started, uh, Tyler Malley with your Reds has made 13 starts this year, which uh, leads MLB. Um, it's kind of like a, but a lot of these guys have made a bunch of guys have made 12, right? So they haven't missed starts. Just kind of the way the schedule was worked out um, so far this season. As for losses, Yohan Adon uh, with the Washington Nationals leads the league in losses with 10. And he actually just got optioned down to AAA today, which makes sense. He's really struggled this year for them. And uh, his teammate, Patrick Corbin's is right behind him with eight losses this season. So the Nationals, horrible starting pitching. And just uh, that's kind of been the tell of the tape uh, this year. Um, as for uh, save opportunities, Taylor Rogers had 21 save opportunities this year. He's only blown three of them. And that was just like all came in like one week. So he's for the most part been uh, lights out. Yeah, he's been really good for the Padres. As far as the uh, last handful of pitching stats here aren't good ones. So it's kind of funny how we've gone through this. So we like we want to do like league leaders and like these statistics. And then like we kind of just end up doing all of them. And then as you get towards the bottom here on the MLB app, a lot of these are kind of like bad stats where you don't want to be leading in these ones. We have Patrick Corbin, who leads MLB and earned runs allowed with 45. Uh, you know, And then after that, we have Herman Marquez, who leads the league in runs or runs allowed with... Uh, it's just actually... Okay, yeah, so the first one's earned runs. The next one's just runs. And so Herman Marquez leads the league in runs allowed with 50. Uh, he's actually second in earned runs, too. He's allowed 44 earned runs. And then obviously six unearned runs. And so 50 runs total for Herman Marquez. And then we have Patrick Corbin. Once again here, he leads the league in hits allowed with 82. And then I'll just finish it out here. Elias Hernandez with your Marlins leads the league in home runs allowed with 18. That's been his biggest problem for a long time now. And then lastly, Yoan Adon, like you said, with the Nationals, just recently got option, leads the league in walks with 35 so he's really struggled this year for them and obviously that's why he's not going to be up here anymore at this time but yeah this last handful of categories aren't things you really want to look aren't things you really want to be leading in but that's just the way it is yeah, definitely. I mean, L.A. Hernandez, as you mentioned, leading the league in home runs allowed with 18. That's been kind of a part of the what I've been talking about because I feel like when I hear a lot of like media personalities or like uh, you know big network people talking about the Marlins, they always bring the starting pitching up first, which is definitely the better part of the team. But I also feel like they always just like kind of forget that it's mainly so far been Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez who have led the way for the starting rotation because Trevor Rogers coming into today, he got the win today, but he's been struggling uh, at times this year with the ERA well north of four, and I think it was over five, and might still be. Uh, after today and then Elias Hernandez has had some struggles and he's a guy that just don't really want in the starting rotation anymore we've Edward Cabrera just got caught up recently and had a couple of really good starts so hopefully he can be a mainstay in the uh, starting rotation with Jesus Lozardo still on the injured list so the first two guys have been absolute aces you know horses uh, of the staff but the back half of it hasn't been as good which you know has been it was probably the reason why we haven't you know we don't have a winning record even though we're expected to based on run differential again the close losses and all that stuff so yeah it was kind of interesting the way that those stats worked out down the stretch uh, definitely stats you don't want to be leading and guys that get recognized on the podcast for the wrong reasons and so but you know it is what it is we kind of ran through it and that really recap that, that really uh you know puts a bookend on the entire standings and stats updates too much in the season it's been fun so far right had a lot of fun stuff happening uh, around mlb uh, two months in and then again and what we kind of expect now as we kind of settle into the middle you know early parts here of june summer is right around the corner a lot of great baseball to get played early on the season pitching was dominating now the hitters trying to get going more we expect that to probably continue with the weather being so great and so hot around uh, everywhere you know around the country so that's gonna be a lot of fun to see how it all continues to shake out and we'll we'll do an update maybe again we're not really sure about how we're gonna do the updates uh, you know with a lot bunch of games getting played right and things change uh you know a decent amount but you know whether it be before the all-star break or a one a month from today which is pretty much before the all-star break we'll kind of just play it by ear we'll let you guys know 
Yeah, definitely. We'll see when we do it again. But I think this one went pretty well for the most part. I know it wasn't super consistent at times, but I think overall we were able to talk about each division, talk about each team a little bit and where they're at right now at this point of the season. And, you know, the stats were a little bit funny right there because we, we didn't exactly know how I wanted to do it, but ultimately went through a lot of the main stats and as far as who's leading those statistics. We also covered some stats we didn't really need to. But overall, that's kind of what we wanted to do here. Gives you guys a good idea about what's happening in MLB if you haven't really been keeping up with it throughout the course of the year. And if you're just interested, if you're just interested to see kind of uh you know where things are at right now and uh i know i didn't mention some of the teams that some of the players played for i know we were going through the statistics i didn't always say like i talked about who was leading the stat in a particular category i didn't always say what player uh what team that that player played for that's that's bad on my end but it is what it is and ultimately we went through all of it and hopefully you guys got the idea I don't think I did every time either, but it is what it is. It kind of extends the time frame if we mention who they play for every time. So it's kind of like a, we don't have to necessarily, even though it would probably be nice to do that. It is what it is. Can't go back in time now. Wouldn't want to. So move on now to news and notes. Don't want to miss that segment. We still have quite a bit of notes to get through here, but we're going to try to make this quick because we know this episode's you know a little bit longer uh, due to all the MLB talk we've already had. So uh, we'll start going back to Tuesday, May 31st, last week. It's the last time we recorded. So we have quite a bit of notes to cover over a little over a week that is, uh, you know, transpires since last time we recorded but uh, we'll go back to uh Luis Castillo and the Cincinnati Reds making history at Fenway I'll let you get started with that one yeah last Tuesday we played the first game of a two-game site at Fenway Park it was the first time we played there since 2014 I believe and so and that you know we don't play there very often obviously uh and Luis Castillo was terrific in that game for the Reds I didn't really know how well he's going to perform he hadn't played that he hadn't pitched that well so far the season since coming back off the injured list uh, a little you know early, in early May but he certainly has best start of the year in this one he, you know six innings had 10 strikeouts only allowed one hit no earned runs he really looked like himself again and I remember saying to myself that he looked like the guy who was an all-star back in 2019 and then he actually you know did have a start you know he six innings only like one hit and having you know 10 strikeouts he hadn't done that since 2019 so he was terrific in that game and then as a result he was able to you know power the Reds uh, to a win at Fenway Park for the first time since 1975 when the Reds won game seven of the 1975 World Series over the Red Sox to win our second or rather third uh, World Series championship so uh, I, it's pretty wild that we hadn't won there yet since 1975 now that you know, again, we don't play we don't play at Billing Park that often, at least not right now. Of course, going forward with uh, the new schedule next year, where teams are playing, where every team will play each other going forward, I'm sure we'll be playing there a lot more often. But you know, we don't play there that often, and so it's not surprising necessarily we hadn't won since 1975. But at the same time, it kind of is because we do play there enough to where it's like we should we expected us to win one of those games, and we never did until Tuesday. But you know, it's pretty cool, and that was a nice stat, a nice game for us. Yeah, definitely. It's not entirely surprising because of the lack of games, but at the same time, so you feel like somewhere along the way in almost half a century, you probably gotten a win. Well, Luis Castillo also had 10 strikeouts and no runs allowed, uh, which was his, that was his first career appearance at Fenway. Uh, joined one, he was one of only five pitchers now to, to do that. Uh, you know, Fenway Park opened back in 1912, right? So it's been around for over 100 years, and he's only the fifth player to ever do that in his first career appearance at Fenway. And oddly enough, it was Shohei Otani was the fourth player to ever do that just on May 5th, not too long ago. So had two this season go into Fenway and pitch pretty well, uh, to say the least. And so, 
Uh, next stat here from Tuesday, the other note, uh, Jose Ramirez was intentionally walked quite a bit early. Uh, you know, quite a bit because he actually got intentionally walked twice in the first two innings, becoming only the fifth player in the last 25 years to be intentionally walked in each of the first two innings. Uh, Freddie Freeman was intentionally walked twice in the first two innings last year against Washington. And then you have to go back to Albert Pujols, 2009, and Barry Bonds uh, twice uh, in the early 2000s. So uh, in those last three, you know, Pujols and Bonds both times won the MVP award that season. I'm not saying... Oh, Zimmer is going to win the MVP. Probably won't because he doesn't get enough recognition and uh, there's a lot of good guys and his team's probably not good enough. But uh, certainly a guy who's going to be in that conversation with the way he's played so far this season. A lot of respect in that game to walk him twice in the first two innings. Wednesday, June 1st, we saw uh, Edward Cabrera with some change-up wizardry. I mean, this was ridiculous. It was his first start of the season. He was absolutely outstanding. Had a no-hitter into the sixth inning against the Rockies. Lost it in that inning, but uh, he did have a 95.5 mile-per-hour change-up against Brendan Rodgers in the second inning, which was the fastest change-up to be swung on a missed ever recorded. Um, so pretty remarkable stuff. Max, like a, at, at that point, pretty much acts as a sinker, right? But he's a power pitcher, and uh, and you know he had some struggles last year when he came up here and made his debut, but so far, so good. And that was really impressive and I think we're actually going to talk about that a little bit too. Yeah I just want to touch on it briefly that's an amazing you know that's an amazing feat to have the you know, change up be that fast at the same time I'm not sure if it's you know a great thing to have the change up you know 95 because it's not that much of a differentiation between that and his fastball you know because he pitches up to like 99 100 somewhere in that range so it's like only five mile per hour difference now he doesn't throw a change up at 95 all the time he's around 93 94 but I mean at the same time we'll see what happens you know Sandy or see how, it, how he, if he continues to utilize that going forward I know Sandy Alcantara with your mom I mean, his changeup can get up to like 92, 91. So that's because he throws really fast. Hopefully, maybe going forward, Cabrera can kind of try to take a little off that and be more like Alcantara because having that more 8 to 10 differential from the fastball to the changeup is better. But that certainly was quite the pitch. I would agree, but still was like, wow. You know, it was like the... But that's just the, the, the idea of it was it was worth noting, even though it probably wouldn't be practical to keep doing that all the time. And uh, later, that was actually the first game of a doubleheader. Later that day, uh, Brendan Rodgers, in the second game of the doubleheader, had a three-homer game, including a walk-off two-run shot to win a marathon game against my Marlins. It split the twin bill that day, and uh, Brendan Rodgers... Uh, heating up, actually, uh, one NL Player of the Week, which we'll get to later. That was a big part of what he did. Uh, last Thursday, June 2nd, we had to have a note about the Rockies again, but this is not a good note. Uh, the Rockies' putrid pitching, which uh, we saw uh, them allow 12-plus runs in three straight games, which was the first time we've seen that since the Pirates and the Padres in 2019. They're only the uh, seventh team since 2000 to allow 12-plus runs in three straight games. So uh, certainly it's a team that, again, playing at home, that can happen, uh, but I don't think they expected that to happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know that's just the way it goes sometimes, or maybe not. I mean, it's only the seventh time since what you said, 2000. It's quite a statistic there. It's actually surprising the Rockies are they on that list prior to this? Have they done they that? Are, they are. They are. It's actually list, pretty yeah. surprising that they're not on there until just now because obviously they pitch in that ballpark where it's difficult, you know, to keep the ball in the yard. So it's actually pretty surprising that they haven't had that happen to them until this year. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a struggle for them throughout the course of the year pitching for the most part, and certainly in that three game span, it kind of hit rock bottom. Yeah, the Marlins scored 14 runs in the first game of the doubleheader in, in a win. Then they scored 12 in the second game in a losing effort, 13 to 12. And I think Atlanta came into town and, and dropped 12 plus on uh, on the uh, Rockies. So also one more note from Thursday of last week, Sandy Alcantara's dominance continues. This is a note that almost has a two two parts to it because he pitched again just last night and was dominant again. But that was his fifth straight start of seven innings or more, allowing a one run or less, which was the first time we'd seen that since uh, Jake Arrieta in 2015 uh, when he won the Cy Young Award for the Cubs. And had a great season for them, obviously. And so uh, Sandy Alcantara is so good this year. And again, we'll t- t- touch on that again because he kept it going last night. So, we'll, again, kind of a two-part piece.
piece there, but that was a win against uh, the Braves last week. So it was the Braves. It was the Giants. He pitched against the Giants last week in that win. So uh, as for last Friday, June 3rd, we had Players of the Month announced. I think we'll run through this really quickly. Don't get too caught up in the stats. We're back with uh, HeffyBet again, actually, which was the only website that I could find that had all the Players of the Month. So uh, obviously the month of May in the books. So we have our MLB Player of the Month, uh, or MLB Players of the Month for the month of May. And uh, fitting that it would be Paul Goldschmidt with the St. Louis Cardinals and the National League and then Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees in the American League uh, as the players of the month presented by Chevrolet. Both two guys who've been slugging like crazy, getting on base, driving in runs, and, and been absolutely outstanding for their teams. Yeah, they've been terrific. You know, they, they've really been outstanding all season long. And Paul Goldschmidt has that long 45-game on base streak right now, which is still active. He lost his hitting streak recently. That was like at like 26 or something when he lost it. But he's been fantastic for the Cardinals. And, of course, Aaron Judge has been hitting, hitting home runs seemingly every single day. It's been fantastic for them. So not surprising they won those uh, that they were both the players of the month for uh, the month of May. As far as the pitchers of the month, we saw Martin Perez with the Texas Rangers win the American League Pitcher of the Month award for May with a 0.64 ERA and 42 and a third innings of work in the month of May. I know I have my fantasy team, and I, I don't know if I've actually, I think I had him throughout the entire month or, or mo- most of it. He's just been unbelievable. It's been awesome to see. He's been fantastic for them. And then in the National League, the Pitcher of the Month was Zach Wheeler with the Philadelphia Hillary who's been fantastic this year for them. Of course, he was so good last year with the Phillies. Came out kind of slow this year, had a few clunkers, but has really gotten back on track again. It looks like that guy that he was last year and a true Scion candidate. And, you know, with him and Noah, they have a, a true fantastic duo at the, top of the, at the top of that staff. And he was awesome in the month of May. Yeah, Martin Perez, go back to him real fast. I think he was actually their number one pitching pro- I think it was their, either their number one pitching prospect or their, or their number one prospect back in 2012 for the Rangers, actually. Of course, he pitched with them for a while, then had stints in Minnesota and Boston. Now he's back with the Rangers and having a absolutely terrific season so far. And, you know, great for the Rangers because, again, you mentioned they'll probably flip him at the trade deadline. They should be able to get a decent hole, even if he is just a rental player with how good he's pitched. You know, being a lefty, it doesn't hurt either. And then Zach Wheeler, again, the Phillies have a good starting rotation, obviously, with Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola and some of the other guys have pitched well at times, but Zach Wheeler certainly is a guy who can be absolutely dominant, so good for him to be able to pitch really well in the month of May. As for the rookies of the month in May, Julio Rodriguez, of course, the outfielder with the Seattle Mariners, who I mentioned earlier, of course, leading the league in stolen bases. He's gotten going uh, with the long ball, five home runs in the month, uh, batting over 300, so uh, really good stuff from from uh, Julio Rodriguez this year, the J-Rod show, getting going for the Mariners, and again, I think, like, I just feel like they've been playing better baseball lately. I mean, they just won a series against my Astros. Maybe that has something to do with it, but just kind of watching baseball on a nightly basis they've they've got it going a little bit more lately and he's been a big part of that and then the National League, uh, Luis Gonzalez, the outfielder for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, and this was a guy who was actually optioned for a moment, and they brought him back up because of the injury. And he's played well this year. I was kind of surprised to see that he did get optioned because he was playing really good up until that point, but they kind of ran out of room. I think they had some guys come back from injury, and then they had uh, they lost him again. I can't remember the, the, the guy who leads off for them. Uh, with the, Lamont Wade. Lamont Wade came up and then had to go back down for an injury, I think. And so they brought Luis Gonzalez back. He's played well at times for them and, uh, and got recognized uh, here in the month of May. Yeah, as you mentioned, Julio Rodriguez has been terrific so far this season for the Mariners. Has been, you know, arguably the best rookie in MLB so far this year, and is definitely, you know, 
making you know his case for AL Rookie of the Year this year. He's been awesome for the Mariners. And then yeah, Luis Gonzalez. What a great month it was for the Giants outfielder with you know hitting 368 in the month with a 910 OPS. He's been really good for the Giants, which is you know a guy that I didn't really know too much about it or didn't, didn't really know who he was coming into the season. I know remember, of course I remember at the beginning of the year when we did the uh, our predictions for the year, we didn't really have a lot of guys to mention in the NL as far as who we thought could be the Rookie of the Year. You know we had some big names in the American League, but in the National League there wasn't a lot to look at. Luis Gonzalez had a big month of May. We'll see what he can do going forward if he can, you know, continue to stake his claim for uh, a Rookie of the Year award, depending on how he continues to play for the Gigantes. And then finally, the reliever of the month uh, for May in the American League was Clay Holmes with the New York Yankees, who has been so fantastic for them all season long. Uh, Oroldis Chapman, obviously, was their closer coming into the season, but he's had some issues, and he also has an Achilles injury that's kept him out for a little while now. Thankfully for the Yankees, they have Clay Holmes who's been terrific for them all season long, and it's just been dynamite. I mean, he's just been so good. That sinker has incredible run on it. He's just getting incredible movement. He's throwing strikes. He's getting out. He's just been so awesome for them all season long, and so definitely deserving. And then David Bednar with the Pittsburgh Pirates, their closer, has been fantastic this year uh, for a team that's not very good, but they certainly have a great closer here in Bednar. He wins the National League Reliever of the Month award because he was fantastic all month long. Yeah, go back to Clay Holmes real quick. He's uh, been really terrific for them, as you mentioned, and uh, you know, kind of taking over the closer role now with Rolls Chapman being out due to injury. And honestly, you feel like he might not give it up because even before Rolls Chapman got hurt, he was kind of leaking oil a little bit. And I feel like even last year he wasn't as dominant, and even so far this year it hasn't been as good. And and Clay Holmes just comes in there and it's all business, and it's just absolutely filthy. And then David Bednar, yeah, you mentioned the Pirates. Obviously, we mentioned they're not a good team, but man, this guy's nasty, and uh, he's he's a he's a he's like a bulldog on the mound there late in the game, and he's tough to face. Uh, he threw like 50 pitches in a two-inning save or in a six-out save against the Dodgers not too long ago in a sweep, actually. Somehow the Pirates, who had lost so many games, I think maybe 17 games in a row against the Dodgers coming into this year, actually went 5-1 and one against them and swept them over there in L.A. and Bednar was able to lock down one of those games and been really good for them this year. And so I don't really know exactly what the contract situation is, but you never know whether a team is probably going to be under 500 by a pretty decent margin come the trade deadline. I think some teams would love to bring David, uh, David Bednar into their bullpen. So... Uh, and definitely contending teams trying to strengthen the back end of their bullpen. And so, uh, you know, again, thanks to Heffy Bet and uh, Henry Roldan, who wrote this article. Uh, I know a lot of time we kind of laughed at, at them. No mistakes, I don't think, in this one. They did a nice job with it. For whatever reason, it's the only place I can find all the MLB players of the month. So glad to be able to mention that today as we are now into June. And we'll see who ends up playing really well here in the sixth month of the year. Other notes from Friday, June 3rd, the Braves and the Rockies were scoreless at Coors Field through the entire nine innings. They went next innings tied at zero, which was only the second time it's ever happened in the ballpark's history when obviously they're playing in that altitude and we know how many runs can be scored. It's a big ballpark too with, with the outfield and all those gaps. And surprising those two teams who have some pretty good offenses and definitely some good bats were scoreless uh, through the first nine innings. Max Fried started for the Braves, pitched outstanding. And I think Chad Cool for the Rockies, those guys gave them great starts. They went next innings tied at zero and uh, the Braves ended up winning that game, I believe leave. Uh, the Yankees also had some pitching brilliance uh, on Friday and the Thursday before that. Uh, so according to Sarah Langs on Twitter at Slings on Sports, the Yankees were the first team in at least the expansion era. So since 1961 uh, to have two pitchers have consecutive perfect game bids through six plus innings. Um, and that was also according to Elias Sports. So, um, you know, it was uh, Jameson Tyone and Garrett Cole back to back nights had perfect games going uh, through six innings. And I think in Tyone's case through seven innings and they ended up losing those uh, perfect games as well as the no hitters in those games but still again I mentioned earlier the Yankees starting pitching has been outstanding this year and those two guys certainly a big part of that 
they definitely have been. And Tyon's been terrific for them. Uh, you know, I recently picked him up in fantasy. He's been fantastic. And, you know, those that game that he had against the Angels was fantastic. He came off of a game before that where he pitched really well against the Rays. So he's been terrific for them and uh, kind of a good reclamation project over the past couple of years. And this, you know, they've had him, you know, since they acquired him, you know, I guess it was a couple of years ago. And it's taking a little while to get going again, but he's pitching really well right now. He's one of those guys who's had Tommy John surgery twice. And those guys don't usually, aren't able to really, and what he's doing right now is really impressive and really encouraging for the game of baseball because that Tommy John surgery twice. He's pitching, he's been able to overcome it. He's pitching well right now for them. And then, of course, Garrett Cole has been terrific. Oh, they got destroyed tonight against the Twins. He's been really good this year for them, obviously. And their pitching has been terrific. And overall, you just can't say anything bad about the Yankees. They've been great all across the, their entire team. And the pitching's been a big part of why they've been so good. And those two guys are a big part of it. Yeah, Luis Severino's also been outstanding for them this season. Esther Cortez, I mean, those four guys right there just alone have been awesome. And Jordan Montgomery, so it's just the whole starting staff that's the reason why they've won so many games. But interestingly enough, though, Tyone and Cole, both those guys had, you know, coming off those great perfect game bids, ended up both struggling in their starts against Minnesota this week and uh, and games I think both their teams ended up losing. So, or actually they won today. They were able to overcome they that. They ended up winning both those games, actually. Really? But they, they lost the one <laughs> they yesterday, the one when, yesterday they, yeah. when they when Nestor Cortez pitched and the Twins oh, okay. did good against him, too. So, yeah. man, the Twins... I mean, they really managed to get after those starting pitchers for the Yankees, which is surprising. But then the Yankees still won two of those three games because their offense was able to yeah. go out there and score 10 runs in, right. in those two games that tie on and Cole pitch. So yeah, it's a good point. Just a yeah. scary team, man. Definitely is so far this season. Last note from Friday, June 3rd, Lane Thomas for the Washington Nationals had a three-home run game over there against the Reds in, in Great American Ballpark. So good performance for Lane Thomas. Uh, obviously kind of a guy who's a young player for them. I feel like maybe there's some kind of future hope for him uh, and certainly a guy who's got some pop. And hey, it's a good ballpark to hit three of them. So good for him. Last Saturday, June 4th, Albert Pujols played his 3,000th career game. Only the 10th player all time to play in 3,000 or more games in a career, obviously, at 42 years old still playing somewhat well whenever called upon for the Cardinals. He certainly reached some milestones again this season, done some cool things, actually made a pitching appearance again earlier this season. Of course, a future Hall of Famer and one of the best players of this generation. Another milestone for him. I don't think we had any notes from Sunday, June 5th last week. So nothing there. Uh, so we'll now move on to this week. So far, it's been a pretty busy week and around M- or a pretty busy week around MLB. On Monday, June 6th, we saw Michael Walker pitch a complete game shutout on the road against the Angels in a one nothing Red Sox win. You don't often see the Red Sox win games one nothing. At least I don't think we would expect that coming into the season, right? Their lineup's better than their starting pitching, but again, their starting pitching's been better lately. Michael Walker's having a resurgent season for the Red Sox. Able to go the distance and shut out the Angels, and, and at that point, the Angels, again, were on a long losing streak, and so that was just another unfortunate situation for them when the Red Sox were on a road trip that was perfect up until, you know, through that game. So really good stuff for, for the Red Sox right-hander who again is having a great season for them and a, and a good part of why they're starting rotation and why they've been playing better over the last month or so and Eduardo Escobar hit for the cycle for the Mets uh, against the Padres on Monday it was the first cycle and uh, for, for the Mets since Scott Harrison I believe in 2012 so Eduardo Escobar actually got the two hardest legs of it late I think he had the home run in the eighth inning and a triple in the ninth drove in six runs and a, and a good win for the Mets they scored plenty of runs in that game and Eduardo Escobar not having a great season but a great night yeah, definitely. I mean, he's one of those guys they acquired in the offseason. And like you said, it hasn't been that great for them this season necessarily. But I think he's been a good guy in the locker room and a good leader and a good defender and certainly been really good uh, and was certainly really good in that game. And like you said, he had to get the last two ones late. You know, he got the single and then they actually did it in order too because he got the single first. I know he didn't do it in order. Actually, he had the single, then the double, then the home run, the triple last. It's interesting though that we've had two triples now this season with uh, Christian Yelich earlier this year. And then of course now Eduardo Escobar. And both of them have come with the triple being the last one they get, which 
which I, I think is kind of interesting because I think usually when you see a cycle, it's like that triple. You kind of want to get that one early. If it's like one of the first two hits you get, you think, okay, now I have a chance because this was the hardest one to get. Uh, but they've actually been able to get it last to ultimately get the cycle, which is really impressive. Definitely. It's always the hardest leg to get because you kind of have to get a little lucky at times to hit the right spot. And certainly that one caromed off the wall and got away from the right fielder there for, for San Diego. I can't remember exactly who it was out there, maybe pro far. But uh, anyway, you know, obviously able to get it done. So cool stuff for the Mets. Again, they've had a great season, some special moments. Now it's just another one that was really exciting for them. And then Hunter Green had a complete game shutout and a rain delay, um, but he was still dominant through seven innings in a game that the Reds, you know, they ended up calling it off. The Reds got the win, just destroyed the D-backs. Hunter Green was absolutely magnificent. Yeah, Hunter Green's been fun to watch this season so far. You know, obviously he's got the, the high velocity, 100, 101 mile power fastball, and that slider's been terrific as well. I think he's a guy who, you know, it's been exciting to watch him, obviously, this year. You know, coming into the season, we knew he was going to be able to perform up here, or he was going to be up here throughout the course of the season. Had some issues earlier in the season whenever his velocity kind of dipped, but whatever was going on, he's got it figured out, and he's been on fire lately. He's just been awesome to watch, and I think in that game, he was as good as I've seen him all season long. You know, he gave that leadoff uh, hit to start the game, but then... Uh, end up getting uh, the next batter struck him out and then that guy was then the guy who led off the game with a bunt was Dalton Varsha he got caught stealing and so then after that you know he was able to face the minimum through seven innings he returned 20 straight Diamondbacks after that leadoff single and you know faced the minimum through seven innings and was just absolutely brilliant would have gone back out there but you know there was a rain delay and then it was raining so hard that they end up calling off the game like you said and the Reds won seven nothing yet the complete game shut out even though it wasn't a full nine innings performance but he was awesome again and it was awesome to watch it would have been nice to see him keep going if it wasn't for the rain. I feel like he's a guy who's had some ups and downs this season, but he's starting to figure out a little bit more, and certainly you see him perform like that. He could just be absolutely dominant, and certainly the future's bright for the young 22-year-old. And one more thing about him, too, is I feel like most of the time he's a lot of, he just, he's more like a two-pitch pitcher right now, too. He's, a lot of what he is is throwing that fastball and that slider and just working them off each other. He will mix in the change every once in a while, but it's not really a, a developed pitch for him. I don't think he's getting a lot of swings and misses on that. He doesn't really have a, the ability to throw it for a strike that often, but certainly if he can get that change up to more and maybe like a sinker at some point. I mean, there's a lot of room to grow. He's only 22 years old, so it's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. I'm certainly you know, if you have that kind of stuff, as long as you locate, you're probably going to miss quite a bit of bats. And so good stuff from Hunter Green in the Reds on Monday night. Uh, Tuesday, June 7th, Charlie Blackman hit his 200th career home run. for So good for Chuck Nasty, uh, a former pitcher, I believe, in the Marlins farm system. And ended up, you know, obviously becoming a really good outfielder for the most part. And uh, and obviously hit quite a bit of homers now and playing in a, a good ballpark. But that actually came on the road and it was a three-run shot into McCovey Cove out there in San Francisco. So it was a go-ahead three-run shot for his 200th career home run and an eventual win for the Rock. So good stuff for Charlie Blackman. Uh, the Yankees off to a historic star, which again, we talked about them earlier, but now we can put it into perspective even more here. Uh, they had 40 wins in their first 55 games, becoming only the sixth team uh, in the divisional era. So since 1969 to, you know, win 40 of their first 55 games. And uh, two of those teams went on to win the World Series. Two of them went on to lose the World Series. And then the most recent one was the 2001 Mariners, who of course tied the MLB record with 116 wins. They ended up losing in the ALCS. But still, again, the Yankees, we talked about how good they are in every asset of the game so or every facet of the game so far and uh, certainly on display they've got all the pieces and they're winning a bunch yeah, they've certainly put it all together this year. You talked about them earlier, how they've just you know, been able to stay healthy this year because we know they've dealt with injuries over the past handful of seasons. It seems like they've been a team that's been kind of, you know, just kind of really been racked by injuries. And you've had Aaron Judge, who's been who's missed time with injury, and John Carlos Stanton, and a number of other players too. But this year, they've been able to stay healthy. You know, it's good for them, and they've been terrific on all fronts with their batting, pitching, and bullpen. So there's really no weaknesses on that team. That's why they have the best record in MLB right now. That's why they're off to this historic start, and that's why they're a team that's you know, definitely could win the World Series this year. 
Definitely. And uh, as we move on now, we saw Albert Bujols pass up Paul Molitor and move into ninth place on the all-time hits list with his 3,320th career hit. Uh, he's got some work to do if he wants to get to the eighth spot, though. Carl, uh, excuse me, Carl Yashrimsky sitting there at number eight with 3,419. So he's going to need 100 more hits this season to get there, which it seems kind of out of reach, but uh, I'm not really sure how many he has right now. And, you know, he doesn't play every day and all that stuff. So that seems out of reach at this point uh, for his last season. So that might be the last we see of him moving up the hits list. But again, in the top 10, so anytime you pass up, you know, uh, somebody like Paul Molitor is certainly notable. And so into ninth place goes Albert Pujols, who I talked about earlier, plays 3,000th career game. Now into ninth place in the all-time hits list to get another milestone for the future Hall of Famer. And then the Reds' young uh, starting pitchers, uh, impressing so far, which I know you have more on. Yeah, it's been fantastic. We talked about Hunter Green earlier, but we've also seen Graham Ashcraft come up here and be fantastic for the Reds, a guy I didn't really even know about before he ultimately got called up a little while back and has made four starts for the Reds. It has been absolutely amazing for us this season so far. And, you know, he's a guy who's got great stuff. You know, he's got a 98 to 99-mile-per-hour cutter that he uses most of the time. So it looks like Corbin Burns out there with that thing. He's a ground ball machine, racking up so many ground balls. His off-season stuff is developing too. So he's been looking really good for us, and I'm excited about that and wondering why he wasn't ranked higher within our farm system because he's been terrific and him and Hunter Green uh, became the first and so yeah and that stat that you were that I wanted to mention here uh, by it was uh, stats Stats by Stats on Twitter, at Stats by Stats. They always come out with a bunch of great statistics. Uh, so the At Reds, the first MLB team in the modern era to have a rookie starter throw six-plus uh, shutout innings with no walks in back-to-back games. We had Hunter Green uh, on Monday and Graham Ashcraft on, on Tuesday, who each had six-plus shutout innings without allowing any walks. And so and they've just been terrific. And that's and that's a big thing for young guys, too, that you know, to not walk anybody. I mean, it's obviously guys who, you know, when you're guys, we have young guys like rookies, they may struggle with command, those types things but they're throwing strikes they're getting outs and they were terrific on monday and tuesday yeah, especially guys like that who have such great stuff. Uh, and, you know, the cutters that are high 90s, just ridiculous from Ashcraft. And then Hunter Green with his, you know, velo. And so to be able to command it uh, is pretty darn impressive. And that's a crazy stat. How do they find stats like that? Just punch it to a database and just it works out that way. Just because that, that's, 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 the, that's the only way I can see it happening. Uh, and then as for yesterday, Wednesday, June 8th, we're not going to talk about any notes from today just because, you know, we didn't get a chance to watch quick pitches where we get a lot of some of this good stuff. And so we haven't got a chance to watch that yet. Uh, and so we're not going to work about it we'll come back next week with today's notes but uh last notes from yesterday rob thompson's fighting phil so rob thompson's a new interim manager for the philadelphia phillies and they haven't lost a game yet with him at the helm uh they you know in their first five games with them they were five and oh with averaging almost eight runs per game with a plus 28 run differential and team ops at 948 with a team era at two and they won today again defeating corbin burns you know corbin burns issued four walks a career high and and they were to mash out some homers late and win again so they're six and oh with rob thompson at the helm one game below 500 now and uh, and and Rob Thompson became the first manager to win his first five games on a new team since Jim Leland did it with Detroit back in 2006 so uh, pretty impressive stuff so far I know I talked about I was watching MLB tonight the other day and they were talking about is this just the Phillies thinking like wow our manager just got fired we better you know get going a little bit and, and do a better job and kind of get the adrenaline from that and kind of have some motivation early can they sustain this moving forward for a long period of time that remains to be seen but so far they're off to a great start with him leading the way 
Uh, penultimate note here, Shane Bieber is on a uh, quite the strikeout pace so far in his young career. Uh, he joined Dwight Gooden and Tim Lincecum as, uh, you know, in terms of fewest games to 700 strikeouts in MLB history with 93. Uh, so he didn't in his 93rd career game got to 700 strikeouts. The only you know player ahead of him on that list is Hugh Darvish, who did an 87 games, of course, active with the Padres still. And so, yeah, Shane Bieber, you know, he's, you know I think he's had, some, I think it was a start, good start to the season. He had maybe a couple of bad starts there, but pitching better lately and uh, picked up that a notable uh, milestone. Yeah, certainly a great achievement for Shane Bieber, who's been terrific over the past handful of seasons. Of course, he was the AL Signing Award winner in 2020 in that shortened season where he really put it all together. Well, I think 2019 was probably more of a breakout year for him, but 2020 he was able to go out there and pitch so well, albeit for a short amount of time and win that award. But then this year, like you said, I think his velocity has been down a little bit this year, which he had to kind of work with a little bit. But the way he pitches, he's more of like kind of a a more precise guy, good with command, and the way he's able to set up hitters with his breaking balls. It doesn't really matter that much about his velocity. Obviously, he would like to have around 95, in those, which is what he can do. What he was in the past, more of like a 90, around 95. He's been around 92, 93 this year. But the point is, he still has great stuff. He still has great command. And when you pitch the way he can, he can rack up strikeouts with the best of him. That's what he's done throughout his short career. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, ultimately... Uh, I felt like I was going to say something else until I forgot what I was going to say. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I was going to say he won you know, you know, All-Star Game MVP in 2019, I believe, at home. And so that was kind of maybe, you know, people sort of really recognize how good this guy is. Of course, All-Star Game, but he still pitched well. And then getting to that point, you know, being an All-Star was important. And yeah, he's just been great for them over the last couple of seasons. And then lastly here, well, actually, this is actually the second to last note because there was one note that I forgot that we're going to have to come back to. Uh, but Sandy Alcantara pitched a complete game shutout last night, but got a no decision. Yeah, it was just it was ridiculous. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? Another nine-inning game for Sandy Alcantara. Didn't allow a single run against the Nationals, but didn't get any run support. Marlins and Nationals go into extra innings, tied at zero. Nationals get around the top of the 10. Thankfully, my Marlins able to pull out the win in the bottom of the 10th with a couple of runs there. Uh, Williams asked the deal, able to drive in Jazz Chisholm on a little bloop and a great you know job by Jazz to get around the base pass and find a way to score. And then he's uh, Aguilar able to drive in Williams asked the deal for the game-winning run, um, which was, you know, again, thank God we won that game because we can't afford to lose games that Zanny Alcantara pitches, especially when he pitches that well, and that was his sixth consecutive start, seven innings or more, one or fewer earned runs allowed, and again, right there with Jake Arrieta back in 2015, you know, that's the longest streak we've seen since then. So, I mean, Sandy Alcantara, you can't say enough about him. Leading the NL in uh, ERA at 1.61, I believe, and then leading MLB in innings pitch, right, with like a little over 80 right now. So it just goes deep into games. He has all the strikeout potential in the world, but is, is, is able to get quick outs and be efficient and give us length, uh, start in and start out. Just the absolute professional. I think he's the best pitcher in baseball right now. It's been so fun to watch him every fifth day. Yeah, he definitely is arguably the best pitcher in baseball. I know you're going to definitely say he is, and you can make the case for it, certainly. I mean, it's hard to argue that anybody, there's certainly nobody pitching better than him right now with that statistic that you provided with how well he's performing right now, going deep into ball games, not allowing hardly any runs. He's just been absolutely phen- phenomenal for the Marlins, and you just can't say enough about him. He's certainly a guy who's, you know, you know with every, you know, right at the top of that NL Cy Young, uh, can, as, as, uh, certainly an NL Cy Young contender right alongside everybody else, and uh, it's been great to see him pitch this year. Still, once again, Again, kind of an underrated guy, but if he's pitching like this, people will continue to notice him and continue to recognize how well he's performing and how well he's playing for the Marlins. It's certainly fun to watch. Definitely. And the last thing, we forgot to mention the Players of the Week uh, from this past week in MLB. So AL and NL Players of the Week. Jordan Alvarez of my Houston Astros, the American League Player of the Week, presented by Chevrolet. Five games this week, uh, batted north of 500 with two homers, six RBI, and an OPS just over 1,700. Just signed a huge contract, right? Six years, $115 million contract extension was the largest 
largest uh, for a designated hitter in MLB history. Jordan Alvarez, one of the best players in baseball, no doubt. Uh, just unbelievable right now, uh, the kind of run he's been on lately. But just in general, he's had a terrific season. Um, he's still probably underrated amongst uh, you know the eyes of many. Um, and then obviously this week had you know got a big contract. It was driving in runs left and right, hitting some mammoth shots, and uh, just so so good this uh, this week for my Astros. And then uh, Brendan Rodgers with the Colorado Rockies, uh, National League Player of the Week, six games this week, batted 333, uh, four home runs, seven RBI, and an OPS just over 1200. So uh, a great season, a great week for Brendan Rodgers. And you know he's still I think I think he was a third overall draft pick with them uh, back in 2015, I think. Uh, so yeah, he's a guy who hasn't you know ever really got it going necessarily. Um, I think he was drafted right alongside Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman. So this is a guy who there's certainly been their system or been their organization for a long time, been playing better lately, been playing pretty much every day. So uh, good for him to win NL Player of the Week, and he's been playing pretty well over the month of over, over the past month or so for the for the Rockies. Yeah, definitely great for for them that he's playing well right now and starting to live up to to where they drafted him. Certainly, guys, sometimes guys take a little longer to bloom. I think Tyler Stevenson was our 2015 first round pick, if I'm not mistaken. And so we've seen him last year. He really came on strong, and you know, with Tucker Barnhart, you know, he wasn't the everyday catcher for for my Reds until you know, this year, and then he's played really well. And and in time, he's been able to stay healthy. Unfortunately, been a little bit banged up this year and actually fractured his thumb today. He's going to be out for a number of weeks, which really sucks for us. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I took a really depressive turn. Yeah, I took a, that took a that took a bad turn uh, certainly. But anyways, that pretty much that does wrap Everything up. Anything to say about Jordan or? No, I don't. We should talk about the players of the week. Remember? And oh, I didn't, okay. And I didn't oh, put yeah, Nastro. Yeah, you were going to. We should just okay, let you okay. talk about yeah. it. So. Yeah, that's my bad. I, 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 yeah, no, you're. <laughs> you go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean we're good. That's all I have to say about the MLB. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about it at length. Uh, certainly, it was we had to, we had to dive into a lot with the standings update and the stats updates and all that stuff. And so that was pretty lengthy. And then we still had some notes to cover. But I know we tried to go through it as quickly as we could. We tried to be uh, pretty uh, quick in that process. It, it still took a long time, but I think we did the best we could. So with that being said, we move on to the last few topics here. Where we're going to try not to talk about any of this stuff for too too long because we don't want this episode to set a record or anything like that. So. Uh, We'll talk about golf now briefly for the most part with the PGA Tour, which is uh, at the RBC Canadian Open this week at St. George's GNCC in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, They actually started today, obviously, and they'll finish up through the weekend. Uh, Rory McIlroy won uh, the RBC Canadian Open uh, last year. Um, And then as far as what happened this past week, because I did this backwards, I just kind (laughs) of totally messed that up. But usually we talk about what happened, you know, this past week and then talk about where they are this weekend but I went backwards so that's this weekend and then last weekend of course we know we we're at the memorial tournament presented by workday that was a jack's place at muirfield village golf club in dublin ohio we saw billy horschel get the win this past weekend he was absolutely terrific throughout the entire weekend i think he won by uh, by multiple strokes over the field and you know took a big lead in the final day i mean he really played well on saturday i didn't really watch much of it pretty busy over the weekend or just didn't really get around to watching it but i know he played really well on saturday had a big lead going to the final day and then you know, we went golfing on Sunday, so I didn't really keep up with it at all. But I know he was able to just, uh, you know, hang on for that last day. Didn't have to do too much to win it. Was able to find a way to get it done. Yeah, really impressive stuff for Billy Horschel. You know, the way he played over the weekend, but mainly, you know, Friday and Saturday, right? When he was four under on Friday, seven under on on Saturday, and uh, he had an eagle uh, on Sunday. Just kind of put himself uh, in even better position there down the stretch on Sunday to win comfortably at uh, 13 under par, four strokes ahead of Aaron Wise, who was in contention for the most part over the weekend and, and down the stretch. I think it was the 
largest win at Memorial uh, there since uh, I can't exactly remember who it was. Now I mentioned it. I shouldn't have mentioned it probably, but it was, you know, I think 2000, mid 2000s was the last time we saw someone win by four strokes or more. So pretty impressive stuff, certainly. Uh, you know, he's this guy who missed the cut, I believe, at the PGA Championship or and the uh, uh, Charles Schwab Challenge, I think. So, you know, I heard his interview on Saturday talking about how they just weren't, you know, course management wasn't very good. They were frustrated with themselves, he and his caddy, and how they had played, and they felt like they could play a lot better than that. And so they're just playing, you know, kind of go back to the way they want to do things and be more consistent in that. They were terrific on Saturday, shooting a 765, and then again, sealing the deal on Sunday with a win there at Jack's Place at the Memorial Tournament, presented by Workday at Mirafield Village. A great tournament for the most part. Watched a little bit of it, not as much as probably about, as maybe I wanted to, but I was pretty busy, and so didn't get around to it. But, you know, Aaron Wise, again, finishing second, played uh, well uh, to put himself in contention, have a chance. We saw Patrick Cantley and Joaquin Neiman finish at 700, tied for third. A couple of guys who certainly uh, have some, you know, Joaquin Neiman obviously won earlier this year, and so finishing in the top five. Uh, Max Home also a winner earlier this year on the PGA Tour. He finished uh, in the top five, tied for fifth at 600 with Wills Torres. And again, Patrick Cantley, you know, reigning PGA, uh, you know, cha- FedEx Cup champion. So again, those guys are all playing well. Some of the names you expect to see at the top of the leaderboard all played pretty well. And then to round the top 10, just kind of more to hear on the leaderboard, Wills Torres, Denny McCarthy, Sahith Thigala, and Daniel Berger also finished tied for fifth with Max Homa at six under par. And then I mean, a couple of guys uh, tied for 10th at four under Sung JM, John Rahm, and Brendan Steele. So some pretty notable names there for the most part contending and, uh, and playing well at a really good golf course uh, that has gone through some changes and still looks amazing. And uh, one of the better places on the tour for sure uh, over there in Dublin. So it was a good tournament overall. And again, you mentioned they're uh, in Canada this weekend at the RBC Canadian Open. So we'll see how uh, that one goes. And I think uh, I can't remember who's in the lead right now, but. Uh, I think I saw Roy McIlroy was lurking, and he's the reigning winner there at the RBC Canadian Open. Of course, he's the defending champ there, but they haven't played there since 2019 due to COVID and stuff. So he's the reigning, you know, he's the defending champion there at the golf tournament, but all the way back to 2019. So it's been a while since they've been there. And so we'll see how it plays out this week. And of course, the U.S. Open next week. And that should be really intriguing. And it's been more in the headlines than, I mean, obviously it's always going to be in the headlines. We know U.S. Open's l- lurking, but also the fact that that live golf tournament, the Saudi Arabian back to league is happening right now through Saturday, uh, the first ever event in that live golf event, which has drawn a bunch of attention and kind of building up to this. And then we saw a number of players actually leave the PGA tour to go play in this live golf uh, league, which is uh, not really ideal for them because they were suspended by the PGA tour. They knew what they were doing when they got into it. There's a bunch of money to be made this league and it's a different format i think it's like 48 players 12 teams uh four players on each team of course then and i'm not really sure i think there's only youtube coverage right now so i don't have a lot of media rights but it's i'm not really gonna look into it too much because i don't really know what it's gonna look like and i'm not really that i don't know if i have enough time in my schedule to to watch live golf but uh, dustin johnson was one of the more notable players that decided to leave the pga tour to go play in the live golf event suspended obviously then from the pga tour and you know it's a guy who's won a lot and uh, won a fedex cup champion and then it's won a lot on the pga tour but now giving that up to go play in this golf tournament and in this golf league rather moving forward a number of other players on the PGA Tour were also suspended and uh, we'll see how that goes I'm not really sure what the suspension is going to look like or if they're going to be banned again there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward here but it's been kind of a uh, definitely a contentious point moving you know up until this point now it's finally here but Sergio Garcia Taylor Gooch Brandon Grace Matt Jones Martin Kamer Graham McDowell Phil Mickelson uh, who of course got into all the hot water because of the comments made about this we haven't seen him in a long time but he is playing on the in the live golf league which makes sense 
uh, Kevin Na, Andy Ogletree, Louis Oosthuizen, Turk Pettit, Ian Poulter, Charles Schwartzel, Hudson Swafford, Peter Ulin, and Lee Westwood, all uh, players on the PGA Tour who are suspended. Some of those guys already resigned their membership before because they knew it was going to happen. Uh, Ten players actually did uh, before because they knew they were going to be suspended or some punishment was going to be handed down. But those guys are all not part of the PGA Tour anymore, which is interesting. Dustin Johnson certainly the biggest of those names. But they're going to be playing on that Live Golf Tour, which again, big money out there, big purses, and it's just a different brand of golf. And it's a different league of golf. And we'll kind of see how that goes moving forward. I don't think we've seen the last of anything about that. There should be plenty of news in the headlines about all of that moving forward. But with the U.S. Open next week, the PGA Tour doesn't govern the U.S. Open. It's the USGA. And so a number of those players are still eligible to, to participate in the U.S. Open. I think Dustin Johnson, one of those. So I think we'll see him next week anyway. And so that'll be interesting. Yeah, he did a great job covering that Live Golf Tour. Certainly in the news a lot lately with uh, all the players that are kind of going over there and wanting to, you know, participate in that golf uh, league. And so we'll see what happens going forward. But like you said, the U.S. Open, they said that they are going to let everybody play who they think deserves to be there. And so there are still players who, even though they're going on this Live Golf Tour going forward and the PGA Tour may have suspended them, are going to be eligible to play in the U.S. Open, and they probably will. And so we'll see what happens going forward. Like we said, the RBC Canadian Open this weekend, and you did a great job making that they haven't played at this tournament since 2019 due to COVID-19 and them not being able to play in Canada. But now they are back there this weekend, which should be fun to see what happens. And then, of course, the U.S. Open after this weekend. That will be fun. And we'll, of course, preview that a good amount next week on the podcast before it actually happens. So really excited about that going forward. We'll keep an eye on the Live Golf Tour and everything going on over there. But that's all we have to say regarding uh, the PGA Tour and I guess also the Live Tour as well. So... As we move on to the next topic here, we had Capital Ones the match last Wednesday. Of course, we saw it was uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers versus uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen there at the Wynn Golf Club and at the Wynn Las Vegas and at the Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. There at that golf course, they have their beautiful golf course, beautiful scenery there in Las Vegas, uh, the only golf course on the Las Vegas Strip, and it was really fun to watch. I mean, we really enjoyed it. I know Tyler and I watched uh, you know virtually the entire thing. We wanted to. We were thankful to have the opportunity to sit down and watch. And really enjoy it. It was just great TV once again, you know, and they raised a lot of money for charity, which is great to see, you know, a ton of money raised for Meals on Wheels to help out with uh, hunger around the United States and elsewhere, I think, as well. So that was awesome to see. Uh, but yeah, the, as far as the tournament or as far as the uh, competition itself, you know, just the, the banter throughout was fun to watch. You know, the guys just giving each other a hard time. And then, you know, it was uh, just a lot of fun throughout that aspect of things, but also just really competitive uh, match play, you know, between the, between the four guys, uh, you know, Brady and Rogers, they won the first two holes, went two up over Allen and Mahomes. Then after that, they didn't win again, you know, until the 10th hole. And then, you know, over the course of those next several holes, we saw Allen and Mahomes come back and they won the third hole and they won the fifth hole and it was tied and they actually won the eighth hole. And then they actually went up one at that point in time before Brady and Rogers came back. They won the 10th hole. The, the match was tied through 11 holes. And then we saw Aaron Rodgers sink the putt on the final hole to make birdie there and ultimately win the match for Brady and Rodgers they won one up on the final hole. So it was really fun to watch, you know, not only because of the money they raised for charity, which is great to see, and the money, you know, the money they raised for Meals on Wheels. That was awesome. Then you had all the fun access with them and the broadcasters who did a terrific job covering it. And so there was that. There was also all the banter between the players, all the inside access. All those things were great. And then, of course, the actual competition itself was fun to watch because how competitive it was and because of, you know, just seeing guys out there who aren't professional golfers go out there and do their best in, in some area, in some uh, capacity 
capacity embarrass themselves a little bit but it's fun to see guys out there who you know aren't that much better than uh maybe maybe guys at home who are watching like me and Tyler although they are still better than us <laughs> but it was really fun to watch I know you and I both enjoyed it and I'll let you talk about it for a little while too yeah, you covered most of it, um, but I can still talk about it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think I think I enjoyed it even more than I thought I was going to. And it's probably one of the first times I've actually had a chance to. I kind of cleared my schedule well and just wanted to watch it and just enjoy it because it only comes around a couple of times a year. And having all those four great quarterbacks on uh, the same golf course competing against each other was really a lot of fun to watch. And so you mentioned, you know, and and you, know, the, you mentioned the whole match play, which was cool, uh, how it all worked out and how how competitive it was throughout. You know, Brady and Rogers having the early lead and then having to come back uh, a little bit there late and and win two of the last three holes to ultimately win uh, the sixth edition of Capital One's The Match. And, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers was definitely carrying the team. Uh, he was much better than Tom Brady. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a team tailor-made guy. And, uh, and he's played really well. And he played you know, pretty well in the match last year uh, when he was playing, when he was partnered up with Bryson DeChambeau and he ended up sinking up to win it there in Montana, did the same here, played really well, uh, was good with the driver, hitting good iron shots. And again, you know, really good putter. I think he's a, I think he, what we've seen so far from Aaron Rodgers in the match that he can putt really well. And uh, when he came down to it there at the end, got a good read from Tom Brady on that 12th hole. And so when it was his turn to go ahead and, and make that shot on that putt, he's able to, you know, knock it in and, and a great celebration and a great moment there. And that was cool to watch. And, you know, on that 12th hole, Josh Allen almost made a long putt to also make birdie, uh, which would have been a ridiculous putt. And that would have brought us into a, you know, an extra hole where we've been closer to the hole, ended up winning, which wouldn't have been as exciting. So I'm glad that it ended the way it did. It was fitting for it to end on a walk-off putt by Aaron Rodgers for such a competitive match. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes was much better than Josh Allen. He carried that team. And, and Patrick Mahomes was playing with a lot of energy. And I, I think you, know, you mentioned all the access, right? Because early on, the banter was all there. It was a lot of, I, I was laughing a lot throughout it because it was a lot of fun to watch. And then you know, Patrick Mahomes cracked open some Coors and put some beers down and, w- and was playing better. Um, and then he also had a lot of adrenaline. He was driving it well. Um, you know, he was pretty good on the putting green as well and doing some good things for them. And then, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, it was to kind of rally them there late and he, when they were able to win some holes, right, he, uh, he and Allen. And, you know, again, like, as you mentioned, it was just really competitive throughout from the third through the ninth, kind of rallying back, taking the lead and then losing it late again. But it was a, really a lot of fun to watch. And uh, But towards the end, it started to get more competitive. Like, you could see, like, they weren't talking as much trash and uh, and they were more locked in. They, they definitely, each team really wanted to win. And ultimately, it was the old guys who beat the young guys and uh, and played really well um, for the most part. So that was fun to watch. Um, again, the access is great. The charity, uh, Feeding America, and all the great things they've done for them with all the different challenges they have on some of those par threes. And again, the, the broadcast crew that I mentioned last week uh, really did a terrific job and kept the uh, inter- and kept kept the flow of the broadcast and definitely kept everybody entertained. So it was a uh, you know, wall-to-wall entertainment, really a lot of fun to watch. And I'm glad that we got to watch it together. And just in general, got to watch it and see how it all went and shaked out. And so uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, the winners of the match. And so that was it was cool to watch. We previewed it last week a decent amount. We were able to recap it here, which was cool. I really enjoyed that. And we both did. And it was enjoyable to watch, certainly. And looking forward to when the next one is. You would think it would be sometime around Thanksgiving like it typically is. We'll see who can, they can bring in. Certainly, it's it's a, drawing a lot of attention. And I think we'll certainly see probably – I wonder if they'll get a little more creative and maybe get some baseball players in there, which is a little more challenging. But over the winter time, you can maybe pull that off, right, And uh, during the you know November the match would typically see or if they get some basketball players, you know, if, if someone's good at golf, somewhat de- decent and certainly has a good brand about them, we'll see how they go about it moving forward. It's certainly something that we're going to continue to see, and I'm excited about it, and this was a lot of fun to watch. And so we'll also talk about our golf game just for a brief moment, but I really don't want to talk about this for long because I played so poorly. But, you know, I went to the driving range last Friday and felt great about my irons and what I had done there. Um, but then, you know, me and you were partnered up against 
you know, our brother Kyle and then of course our old producer Travis. Um, you know, we went out to Caldwell, Copper's Hollow, a place we've been before. We haven't been in a long time. Travis was in town. He wanted to go play there. Um, and so we're like, yeah, I guess we'll go play nine holes. And, uh, you know, I came in feeling pretty good on the driving range, even in the warm up, I felt really good about where my game was at. And I expected to play really well on the first hole. You know, I hit a beautiful fade and hit it right down the fairway and give myself a really good second shot, which is kind of interesting because we're actually playing teams, which is something we haven't done before. But we set ourselves up with a good position there to make a good wedge shot. And unfortunately, my wedge play was horrible. My irons weren't playing well either. Even though all the work that I had done just did not really translate. And it was really disappointing that the wedge play was so bad because I feel like that's part of my game that's been really good lately. But I was really having a hard time hitting wedge shots and my chipping wasn't good and Honestly, the putting was probably better than it has been, which was nice. And I made some good drives, but I just felt really dejected and, and really uh, demoralizing performance for me because I came in with so much expectations for myself. And you played better than I did, even though I've been putting in more work than you have. So it, it was frustrating. And I wanted to play better than Travis, and I don't think I did. And we ended up losing and shooting a really high score. And it just wasn't what we were expecting coming into it. And, uh, you know, we drank some beer and had a good time. But uh, I didn't drink as much as, as Travis and Kyle did. And I didn't have as good of a time because I was so frustrated with the, how I played. Yeah, it certainly was a, a trying day for you and for me as well. But, of course, for me, I didn't really expect to play that well because I haven't played in a long time. You know, last time I had played, uh, you know, competitive golf was whenever we went out there, you, me, and Travis over at Canyon Springs, you know, way back in uh, January or whatever it was. Yeah, it was, I think it was early January. So it had been a while for me, you know, playing golf, but went out there. And, uh, you know, certainly last time we played at Canyon Springs, we didn't get to warm up that day. And so I really struggled off the tee, and, and it just was really awful from that in that regard. Um, so coming into this one, we actually did get to warm up. And when I was in the warm ups, it, it didn't really work out that well for me. I, I felt like I was really struggling to get my irons in the air during warms up during my warm ups, and so I was really concerned about that. And I think for the most part, that kind of translated. I just had trouble all day with my irons; couldn't get them up in the air, couldn't be consistent. I know in that first hole, we both had we we're playing alternate shot too, so it's like we, everybody got to drive, and then each team would pick their best drive, and then they would go with that ball. And whoever did hit that drive would hit that next shot. So we ended up picking your drive on the first hole, even though we both drove the ball pretty well which I was actually pretty pleased with my driving in this. And during the during the day, I drove the ball pretty well, even though I didn't feel great about it in warm-ups either. So overall, that was a good thing. But we went with uh, your shot, and so then I was the one who hit that second shot, but I really you know didn't hit a good one, and that kind of set the tone for the day. I mean, we just, both of us, really struggled with our irons throughout the course today. Couldn't get anything going in the fairway with our irons. Couldn't make any good approach shots. We didn't really chip the, we didn't really uh, play very well around the greens either. Had really a lot of trouble chipping, you know, and just, it was just a tough day in that regard. I, we did make a few good shots. I had a few decent iron shots as the day progressed, had a couple of decent chips, but overall it was a real struggle and it was disappointing, but you know, it is what it is. We out there. It was you, me, Kyle and Travis. We had fun because it was all four of us. And when, you know, Kyle had never played with us before. That was the first time he had played, uh, you know, golf, you know, at all. I mean, he's gone to big shots a couple of times and, you know, you know, practiced a little bit, but he hadn't actually gone out there with us. And so it was cool to see him out there with us. And uh, of course, Travis hadn't played with him in a while and he plays golf quite often actually. So, I mean, obviously I think he was the best one out of all of us, but I still don't think he was like that much better than us, even though he plays often, you know, he's, he's playing quite often, uh, more so than we do, but overall it was fun. I just think that, you know, when you boil it down to like, you just like ignore the whole, like, how did we play and that aspect of things? Like obviously there was frustrations there, but you just stand back and look at all of us playing together, going out there, having a good time on a Sunday afternoon. That's the good thing. And we had fun with it. And that's the important thing when you take away from the day. 
Yeah, I probably regret how I handled myself. You know, I, I didn't have as much. I know you guys were having a good time, and I just, I was, uh, I was in, you know, pretty dark place there for a moment on the golf course. That's the most, you know, depressed I've ever been on the golf course. Which I, I kind of hope that maybe my attitude. I, I need to like learn from that. Probably not let my attitude get so bad next time. I think early on, you mean you mentioned the the the, the first hole just really got away from us, and we weren't doing anything right. And I felt like I kind of I don't want to. I don't feel like I, I, I told myself I don't want to let that linger on throughout the rest of the round. You know, obviously it's like. Like, you know, when get done with that hole, you just move forward, forget about it. You know, it's in the past. And that's something that, you know, great athletes do. Not that I'm a great athlete or trying to be one, but, you know, that, that mindset, though, is still important. You know, you make a bad play, but you just move on to the next one. And you make a bad shot, you move on to the next one, that type of thing. And I, I, I don't think I let it linger on, but maybe it did. Maybe it hurt my attitude. I, I lost some confidence, which doesn't, which makes sense. But, you know, kind of that, that start was just not what I was expecting. I was really frustrated with that first hole and felt like we really missed the opportunity to shoot the low number there. And we had a, even after you messed up your shot, I had a great opportunity to hit a really good wedge onto the green have a chance to, to putt for par or two putt for bogey or something. We just did not play it well at all. And I, I, I want to say that probably did linger a little bit, but overall just my attitude wasn't very good. And, and I'm my demeanor. I've been pretty better, better lately on the golf course. My attitude wasn't very good. And so I need to try to work on that. And, and that probably would help a little bit. So, you know, it was a frustrating day, but there's, there's going to be some lessons learned certainly. And Heck, we went to Big Shots a couple of days ago, um, you know, which is pretty much like Top Golf, essentially, just a driving range where it's a little more of a party atmosphere. And but I was kind of locked in. I wanted to work on some things. Didn't get a lot of shots because it was just kind of expensive, and there was a handful of us there. And so we only got to, you know, hit a few golf balls. And if I wanted to get some real work, I'd have to go to the driving range again. But uh, even then, I was able to tweak some things. I'm still thinking about my swing and trying to figure out how to get the timing down and get a little more power, a little more length, and just continue to work on the ball striking a little bit better. And just uh, certainly, there's some things I've been thinking about. I'm looking forward to the next opportunity to kind of to continue work on those and see some results but again just we're focused on the process the results will take care of themselves and so uh, anyway it was but again us being out there together that was pretty cool and hopefully we could do it again sometime and so that's all we have for golf we're going double dupe now uh, brief look at Aggie baseball because again we talked about this for a while we talked about Aggie athletics for a while right Texas a athletics what they've been doing here down the stretch of the spring and into the summer months but now it's basically just Aggie baseball I think track and field is doing some cool things at the national championships but I don't really keep up with track and field that much I never covered it when I was with the battalion so I don't really know anything about it and I don't have much interest there we'll just focus on Aggie baseball because that's what we've been talking about for a while and that's what's been so important that's what's been so impressive that's what's been the theme and all the main energy here in Aggie land has been about the baseball team and what they did over the past weekend and what they have a chance to do this weekend. So the NCAA College Station Regional happened last weekend, right? Hosting a regional, which is great, being the number five overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the game one uh, was against Oral Roberts in the afternoon on Friday of last week, and they took care of business with an 8-2 to two win. Uh, Austin boasted a big homer late to kind of seal the deal and uh, great pitching for Micah Dallas in that game, and, and the bullpen did a great job. So that was a great way to get the, the weekend started. And then against Louisiana on Saturday night, another come-from-behind victory. Uh, so the Aggies won 9-6. to six. Um, That was a game where the Louisiana scored like five runs uh, in the first six innings, I think, and they were really kind of putting the pressure on and, and scoring a run. And like, I think they scored most of those runs in like uh, each of the first three innings. They scored some runs. They put they, their offense was rolling early, kind of had to battle back. But the uh, the Aggies, their offense has been unbelievable this year. That's been the key for Texas A&M all year is how good the offense has been and uh, just being in the, the ability to outslug people. And uh, they put together a good seventh inning, I believe it was three runs, or maybe it was the eighth inning when it scored three runs, or I think it was a two run eighth inning actually. Uh, to tie the game or 
actually hold on two runs seven inning to tie the game I believe then it was a two run shot by Austin Boast in the eighth to give the Aggies lead uh, the Aggies the lead eight to six under clutch homer by Boast late in the game and then ended up sealing the deal with a nine six win and then going into uh, the Sunday night game against TCU uh, it's a double elimination format right so the Aggies had won both their games up to this point uh, facing TCU on Sunday night in the in the College Station Regional Championship game essentially but TCU had to win twice against us they were they would have to beat us you know Sunday night and then if a game was necessary on Monday they would have had to win again that would have been an elimination game for both teams so for the Aggies it wasn't an elimination game for TCU it was this was a back and forth game this was an epic game honestly and the Aggies won 15 to 9 and it was all about the late inning magic again there at Olsen Field Blue Ball Park uh, with seven runs in the ninth inning you know scored five runs I believe in this in the seventh um, Dylan Rock had a big three run shot off the batter's eye he's been unbelievable this year and then the seventh run ninth inning when they were down by a one the Aggies were down by one heading into the ninth inning and scored seven runs and just pretty much essentially put the game away um, just a battle of the bullpens down the stretch both teams gave up some runs some big home runs for both teams and just the Aggies out slugging people like we've done all year long uh, no matter what the situation it is you can never count out the offense go out there and put up a bunch of runs so really great stuff uh, down the stretch those last few innings and able to get the 15 to 9 win to essentially at least the way I put it, I felt like it was a sweep, right? That's pretty much how it is. Obviously, playing three different teams, but it was a sweep in the regionals. Didn't lose a game in the regional. Uh, and so a 15-9 to nine win over TCU clinches a spot in the Super Regionals for the Aggies. And they're hosting, you know, being a top eight national seed means if we got to the Supers, we'd be hosting that one as well. So the Aggies are hosting the nine-seed Louisville Cardinals, excuse me, the 12-seed uh, Louisville Cardinals, who are apparently the number nine team in the nation. So it's, uh, you know, based on the rankings, I think we're number five or number seven, and they're number nine. So it should be a really competitive series. Series, but it's the five seed Aggies against the 12 seed Cardinals uh, and or Louisville Cardinal. And it's going to be a really exciting series. I think both teams have great offenses, so it's going to be really hot here in College Station. So this is going to be an entertaining one here in the Super Regionals with a chance to go to Omaha on the line, a chance to go to the College World Series uh, at stake here in this one. First game's Friday, ESPNU. Second game is Saturday afternoon on ESPN. Or the first game is Friday night on ESPNU, and the second game is Saturday afternoon on ESPN2. And then if there's a game of three, it's necessary that'll be on Sunday. This is really exciting to watch. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to watch and certainly uh, really proud of how they performed last week, just doing it again, outslugging people, scoring a bunch of runs, finding ways to win and, and coming through with some clutch hits and hopefully keep, keep the uh, energy and keep the, uh, the offense going this weekend. Yeah, and I just echo everything you said because I have nothing else to add on. I mean, you covered it front to back, and I don't really have anything to say. I mean, I'm really excited about this weekend and seeing what happens in this super regional matchup against Louisville. Like you said, they're a really they're a really awesome team. You know, they've been terrific this year. Obviously, their offense is really good too, and they won their regional. We won our regional, and so now we'll see what happens. But certainly going to be exciting to see how our regional goes here over the court. Our, our super regional goes here this week against Louisville. Hopefully, we can win two of three and go to the College World Series because that will be that will be awesome you know it'd be so great to see our Aggies in Omaha uh, and just you know after the difficulties we had last year and then you would bring in Jim Schlossnagel about a year ago was when we hired him to be our new head coach and he's just been so terrific as the, as the manager of the baseball team this season and has really just changed the culture and changed the energy and obviously he's done amazing things all season long you get to the Aggies to this point it's just been a magical year for the for the Texas A&M baseball team we're hoping that, it, that the ride continues this weekend at home against Louisville and then hopefully in Omaha the College World Series 
starts on Thursday, June 16th, so a week from today. And, you know, obviously for you guys, you'll be listening. I don't know when you're going to be listening, but again, that's why, we, that's why I like to say the date. So Thursday, June 16th, this upcoming Thursday, that's when the College World Series starts. Hopefully the Aggies are one of the eight teams that will be there in the College World Series. And, you know, aside from our Super Regional that we're looking forward to, there's going to be, you know, obviously eight other Super Regionals happening this weekend. And so, you know, we got a bunch of great action in college baseball right, in college baseball right now to see the eight teams that are going to be in Omaha competing for a national championship. So it's going to be a f- really fun to watch that going forward. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be able to tune into, hopefully I'll have the opportunity to tune into a good amount of baseball this weekend. Surely our, our Super Regional, our matchups against Louisville, but perhaps a lot of other college baseball action too because this is a fun time of the year and obviously the best time of the year for college baseball. Yeah, technically seven other regionals outside of ours, super regionals outside of ours, of course. I think it's actually June 17th. I think that first link says the 17th of June is when the games actually start, but they'll get there on the 16th right, and uh, and so hopefully the Aggies are going to be there uh, when it's all said and done, if they can continue to perform what they have and find that magic, you know, this weekend at home. So speaking about magic as we finish up here, uh, Fitz, Fitz Magic, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, called it a career last week. Uh, you know, played for nine different teams in his career. Um, unbelievable career in terms of the expectations coming in, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick was a seventh round draft pick uh, back in 2005 with the Rams, played with nine different teams, uh, you know, in his career. He played for your Bengals, played for my Dolphins. So we both had some connections and we both got to experience some Fitz magic uh, throughout his entire career. Um, but he was also, you know, I think he was the, I think he's the only starting quarterback in NFL history to play for nine different teams and also one with seven of those, or um, yeah, what was the stat that I had? go find it real fast. We want to talk right now. I'm looking for this. Yeah, definitely. I'll let you find that stat real fast. But yeah, certainly it's uh, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick had, you know, just an amazing career in the NFL and just been one of the most exciting players to watch and one of the most fun players to watch in his time in the National Football League. Like I said, played for nine different teams. So a number of different uh, a number of fan bases were able to root for Ryan Fitzpatrick in his time in the NFL. And Certainly down the stretch here, he battled injuries uh, here. It's been able to kind of ultimately end his career here, down, you know, as he's getting older. But certainly he's been just such a fun player to watch in his career, and it's been such a blast to watch him. Like you said, he played for my Bengals. He played for your Dolphins. He's played for the Jets and almost made it to the playoffs with them and played for number, a number of other teams too. So ultimately it's been great to watch him play over the years and we wish him all the best in his retirement yeah i also played for the bills uh the buccaneers the commanders right last year but that was only like half a game before he got hurt and missed the rest of the season and essentially ended his career uh, and they also played for the rams the texans and the titans um so he, he's a he's a the stat that i had from nfl.com uh was that he was no other player since at least 1950 has started at least one game for nine different nfl teams he's the only quarterback in nfl history to win at least one game with seven teams so remarkable stuff again he came into the league in 2000 five as a seventh round draft pick and then bounced around and played for a number of different teams for it seemed like he was you know the ultimate journeyman quarterback right and uh but such a fun player to watch and and uh, did you know i read an article from nfl.com i think by nick shook that was kind of an article about you know kind of recapping his career and if you want to go read that on nfl.com i didn't want to i wanted to take some screenshots of some more stats but there was so many of them he's actually he's way better a career than people really realize in terms of touchdown pass and all the different things he's done never made the postseason though which is really unfortunate you know if like he was so close with the jets that one year like you said and just came up short and uh, the only thing that he didn't do was play in a playoff game, it felt like, in terms of all the different teams he played for. And, and the stats were really good. And honestly, he was a legit quarterback for a while. And there's a reason why he played for so long and was so good and uh, had some good moments, became a starter, you know, in his career. Again, just a, a really terrific career for Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of the expectations coming in. And you just don't see seventh-round draft picks perform that well, um, you know, just in general. But certainly, that's why I wanted to mention him, right? He played, played for both of our teams. He played for the Dolphins very recently. And so I enjoyed having him on the on the team. And it was fun to have him as our 
quarterback there for a, a short time and and I always remember the Fitzmagic game against the, the Raiders there um, on Christmas Eve, I believe it was, or the day after Christmas is what it was. That was really cool. And so certainly that's probably the biggest Fitzmagic moment that I have for when he played with the Dolphins. But I think there's also some talk that he uh, is in, might be going to broadcasting with uh, Amazon, I think, maybe. So he might be part of the Thursday night football coverage. We'll see about that. Certainly he feels like he's a guy who's very charismatic and uh, could be a good uh, person in, in TV. So we'll see if that's a route that he ends up taking. But I think he has a lot of children, too, so he could spend more time with them and uh, again he got hurt last year and didn't play anymore the rest of the season but I think he goes into retirement in pretty good health so uh, again like you said wish all the best for Ryan Fitzpatrick moving forward and uh, we'll never forget Fitzmagic certainly yeah, he's truly been a great ambassador for the game and been a great icon. I mean, well, I don't, I don't know if icon might be a little bit of a strong word, but he's certainly been a memorable guy, you know, in his time in the league, and certainly he's been a fun guy to watch, a fun guy to cheer for. I don't think anybody has anything bad to say about Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's been really just enjoyable to watch over the years. And like you say, he has been better than people than people think he has been. He's certainly had a lot of moments where he's been really a competitive quarterback in this league, and certainly that's why he played for so long. Like you said, and he's a seventh round draft pick, and you know he came from Harvard, and you know he just see a lot of guys come out of Harvard and actually have a, a, a terrific NFL career like he did so he's been fun to watch over the years it's been it's been great to cheer for him at times and to, to, to root for him and he's been a great ambassador for the game and a great NFL quarterback so like you said uh, you, you said all that stuff I did too we wish him the best in his retirement and like you said he might be in broadcasting here pretty soon and certainly feels like he would be great in the broadcasting industry because of his charisma because of his attitude and because of his personality so it'd be great to see him you know broad you know in the broadcasting industry you know covering the game as to around the game of football and around the NFL. I think that would be really awesome for everybody. So hopefully that is the path he takes. But regardless, we wish him the best. And that will do it for us here on this episode of the Double Dupe Sports Podcast. And we are going to break the record for the longest episode in DDSP history. The longest episode ever was the uh, episode we had last season, the one after the Super Bowl, which was just over two hours. I think it was two hours and five minutes. And now this one will be eclipsing that one. Once you finish wrapping up, once I finish talking and then you finish talking, we're going to be probably just shy of two hours and 10 minutes once this one concludes. I don't know what to say about that. It is what it is. We're almost done with this podcast anyways. So <laughs> right, why yeah. not, you know, break another record here on a, uh, on a late night here on a Thursday evening and now Friday morning. So, uh, thank you all for listening to this episode. I don't think anybody listened to the whole thing. I mean, maybe, maybe you did. I mean, I know it was a really long episode. So, I mean, if you really, you must be really committed and really passionate if you listen to the whole thing from start to finish. And if that happened, if that is the case, then, you know, thank you so much. And we really appreciate you so much. Uh, but regardless, if you listen to any of this episode, you know, any parts of it, we know there was a, a good amount of it. And so you can kind of jump in and out of it, you know, whatever you do, if you listen to parts of it or the whole thing, we certainly appreciate you for that. Um, so please subscribe, rate and review on Spotify and Apple podcasts, uh, of course, you, or, or Revos. you listen to our podcast, every platform you listen to us on, you know, please subscribe, rate and review or do whatever you want to do there. We certainly appreciate that of you guys. And also, once again, follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Doopy underscore Austin and on Instagram at AU underscore Doopy 10. And of course, once I remind Tyler, you know, he will, he will be able to plug his handles here in just a moment as well. So that's going to be it for me. Certainly, I'm, you know, just going to, as always, just looking forward to everything in sports. You know, sports are great. They're happening all the time. They're happening every single day. And so there's always something to look forward to. Now uh, we have the NBA Finals rolling along tomorrow, which will be today for you guys if you're listening uh, on the day this episode came out. But we have the 
Game four of the NBA Finals happening uh, on June on June 10th, which is going to be exciting. And then we've got you know the NBA Finals rolling along through next week. We'll see if they get to six games or seven, or if they wrap up in five. There's certainly a possibility they could be over on Monday, but uh, we'll see what happens. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to the MLB continuing to roll along as we are now heading into the middle of June. It's a great time of the year right now. The baseball season is heating up. We're not quite in the dog days of summer. We're in a good spot right now, and we're enjoying it every single day. So looking forward to that. We also have the PGA's who are at the RBC Canadian Open, which should be exciting, and we're one week out from the U.S. Open, which will be, which again, we'll be previewing next week, and that should be fun. And uh, yeah, we have the Aggie Baseball Super Regional this weekend against Louisville. Hoping for the best there. Hoping the Aggies can win two of three and, or just two of two, you know, and get to Omaha and have a chance to compete for the national championship. And, but also just looking forward to all the college baseball action we have here over the weekend. So all that stuff is happening here in the next, you know, week and, and going forward and this weekend and then next week. And it's going to be so much fun to watch all of it and keep up with it and see how it goes. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you guys are too. And I'll be looking forward to speaking with you guys again next week right here on the Double Dupe Sports Podcast. Yeah, you know, I don't really listen to Joe Rogan, but I believe his podcasts are pretty long, and so we kind of a little bit of Joe Rogan-esque podcast linked here. It's only our third episode that's ever gone uh, two hours or more. One of those, of course, went like four seconds over, but it still counts, and so it's only the third of, what, 94 episodes now that have uh, been able to uh, get to the two-hour mark, which is pretty darn impressive to some extent, even though it's not really the idea, but we had a lot of content, and we dove into it all really well, and I, I think this was a really good episode, so if you were willing to stick it out or at least listen to some of it, we appreciate that, and and you guys can follow me on social media, as always, on Instagram and Twitter, at TDoop25. And uh, yeah, you mentioned a bunch of great action coming up this week. And, and you know, I always have this little camera roll of, like, screenshots and notes. It was one thing that I had that I did not mention, so I forgot I mentioned it real fast. In regards to Aggie baseball, that I would have wanted to mention and just check that last box. But talking about how good the Aggie offense has been this year, I had the chance to work uh, a game in early May when they scored 16 runs and a win against South Carolina, and I got to you know be part of our post-game interviews, obviously, and talked to Austin Boast about it, and, and one of the quotes he gave me, which was a really good quote, he said, hitting is contagious, especially with this team. From top to bottom, everybody is a great hitter. The hits don't stop, and the runs don't stop, and that's going to carry us, especially with the good pitching we've been showing. So um, that, and I feel like after I watched that game against TCU, I was like, that again, that quote was so relevant. Um, top to bottom, the lineup was just deadly. It's a juggernaut lineup, and we're hoping that they can continue to do what they've done all year long, at least down the stretch, and at least SEC play, which is ridiculous. That's why they're number two seed. That's why they won the SEC West. That's why they're in this position to be number five national seed, and then be able to be undefeated so far in the postseason with a sweep in the regional. Now, be in the super regional. Uh, one year ago today was when, or one year ago on June 9th, right, which is not t- technically today anymore, but was when they hired Jim Schlossnagel, and then what he's done in this time frame, all the, the new guys they brought in, the transfer portal, the team has just gelled so well, and uh, with the Pringles and everything now. Pringles is kind of getting on board with the whole Aggie baseball thing, which is cool. It's just a really special group, and you mentioned it earlier. It's just a you know really uh, quite this like a, a very memorable season. I don't think anybody expected us to be this good, and so I don't want it to. I don't think anybody wants to see it end just yet, and so hopefully they can uh, carry it into Omaha with a super regional win uh, this weekend over Louisville. But it's gonna be a great series. It should be, and you mentioned all the great college baseball action we have. This weekend with seven other supers and a bunch of great teams in action, and we'll see who the uh, final eight teams are going to be that get a chance to go to Omaha and be a part of the College World Series here this season. It'll be the first uh, for the Aggies in half a decade, so hopefully that ends up happening. And another thing that's uh, happening for the first time in half a decade is my two teams in MLB are playing each other. The Marlins are headed to Houston this weekend to face the Astros. I was going to go to one of those games, but then the Aggies got to the Super Regionals, and I figured I should stay here and and watch these games because we have a chance to do something special. So uh, kind of tough timing. It's unfortunate. 
I was going to wear both my jerseys and it was going to be a very unique experience. But maybe one day with the schedule changing, getting a chance to play more regularly, I'm sure I'll get a chance to watch my two teams on the same field at the same time one of these days. But I'm still looking forward to it this weekend. It's going to be somewhat ambivalent, but I think it'll be fun. And uh, I'm not going to root for anybody. But if I had to root for somebody, I'd say the Marlins need to win more right now because the Astros have such a comfortable lead in the ALS and the Marlins could use some wins. So if the Marlins win the series, that would probably be ideal. But again, it's going to be fun to see them out there. So a bunch of great action this weekend, a bunch of great action moving forward this week in sports. And uh, we have a pretty good episode next week lined up. Should be shorter, obviously, just by default, but uh, getting a chance to preview the U.S. Open is going to be really cool and should be sim- somewhat similar with the NBA Finals and MLB and everything rolling right along. And we'll see how college baseball goes this week and we'll see if we bring any of that to the content table next week. But really long episode, really uh, impressive uh, to some extent with the length of this episode. But I had a good time with that. I'm sure you did as well. And uh, let's go get some sleep. So thank you for listening and we hope you join us next week right here on the Double Dupe Sports Podcast. <laughs>